Vikings. Beautiful morning because my guys in the cornfields have assembled at TCO Studios in Egan, Minnesota. Good morning. Welcome to the 9 to Noon Radio Show. I'm Paul Allen, the on-site producer, Eric Nordquist, guiding the great ship Love Covenant from the Brian Heating and Cooling Studios, young Zachary Halverson, and he is headmanning FM 100.3, the fan, and the 9 to Noon Radio presentation. When the My Guys in the Cornfields presentation assembles, that means Wabi from Vikings.com joins us. Good morning. Good morning, guys. What's up? Uh, peace in the Paul Allen Sports and Information Network. Uh-huh. Put uh, Nordo on Jets Intel duty for uh, the opening segment today, the first of nine. What were you able to uncover? Yeah, you can look at it at uh, KFN.com and the 9 to Noon show page. But it's sneak peek at Jets Week. Mm-hmm. We go to New York, and what I've been looking at over the course of the last 24 hours, Wobby, yes. is a Jets team that is not a pushover. Right. It's not, uh, it's not that gimme game when we looked at the schedule and we're like, hey, we get to go out east and maybe Teddy's going to be there. Remember mm-hmm. when Teddy was on the team yes. and it was going to be so exciting? Yes. Well, the team's actually not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're 3-3. Three and three. Okay, this is their third straight home game, by the way. So, yeah, I know. God bless the NFL schedule makers for making wow. it easy on Darnold. I mean, and we we know what it's like to have three straight home games. Mm, I know what it's like to have three straight road games. Yeah, exactly. On the absolute grind, pretty much comes every year. Uh, the first the first thing I looked at was the rookie of uh, yeah. third third overall draft pick, Sam Darnold, and he's not uh, he's not the best rookie that's ever lived. Okay, uh, but he's by no means awful. Um, in this road stretch that he's had versus both the Broncos, we like that defense. We think they're okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the Colts last week, uh, what he's doing to teams at home is uh, is pretty impressive. He's running at a 63% completion clip, hey, the- 270 yards a game, uh, six TDs in those three games, and yep. then 8.7 yards per attempt and a 94-9 rating. Yeah, As you can expect with a rookie, he's feeling comfy at home, isn't he? Reading between the lines on a conversation you will hear at 6.30 this evening with Mike Zimmer called X's and O's from TCO Studios. Um, and also uh, via some TV taping with Zimmer yesterday for Sunday's Vikings game plan. Of the three rookie quarterbacks he has faced this year, he's faced two and he gets one this weekend. The Joshes in Allen and Rosen and Darnold. In reading between the lines, I believe... Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer feels Sam Darnold absolutely is the best of the three. I think that you're right about that. I picked up on the same thing, and the numbers might bear that out. And if you've watched the Jets, you'll see a quarterback who doesn't really look like a rookie. I mean, one of the big um, storylines of this game, if you're in the New York market or if you are in the Jets universe, is 
is the Kirk Cousins game. Yeah, yeah, because the sour J- grapes style, right? Because and, and and we we may not recognize this in Minnesota because Cousins was ours from the start, and there was no other option. I mean, that's how you would view it if you were a Vikings fan. But the Jets, I think, or at least Jets Nation, thought that they were getting Cousins. They didn't get Cousins, right? And they were mad about it. But now things are sort of coming out smelling like roses because they've got a nice rookie quarterback who they like. Um, I think when you watch their games. You know, you, it's not that their offense lacks sophistication. I think it can be sophisticated and tricky. But I think the coaches have done a really good job of just setting things up for Darnold. And we're going to have Bursich break this down today yeah. for game plan taping for the film segment where he's got pretty simple reads. I mean, he's got an either-or read on one side of the field. Mm-hmm. And whatever the defense does and takes away, Darnold takes the other option. Mm-hmm. And it's been working for them. And like Nordo has pointed out, his numbers, especially the last two weeks in the home games, are really good. Their most reliable receiver, Quincy Inunwa, I will not play in this game. Yeah, um, I think that's a big loss for a rookie quarterback because you got Robbie Anderson, uh, really and Jermaine Curse, but specifically Anderson over the last three years. If you deep dive forty yard receptions and longer, like like blowing the the proverbial top off the defense, yeah. that is Robbie. Yeah. Uh, Curse when he was with Seattle, good intermediate, good deep. He's been that way with the Jets. Their their tight ends, from what I understand, are run first tight ends. But they had a rookie Kane uh, with the last name Herndon catch a sneaky touchdown yeah. last week. So with, with knowing Noonwa, I would guess Darnold loses his nookie blankie. Um, and, and then you look at the sizes of their offensive linemen from Beecham over to the right tackle. They're all big. Um, so it just... It feels from afar, big offensive line, multiple tight end sets, couple of hard-nosed running backs, and they're going to try to run right at the Minnesota Vikings defense. Yeah, yeah. the guy to look for on, on Sunday is actually Jermaine Curse. So Jermaine Curse, I think, had nine catches and 94 yards after Inunua went down, yeah. and that was half of his year's production, yeah. all taking place last week. So Jermaine Curse, for a rookie trying to get better in the NFL, Finding Nookie Blanky, Jermaine Curse might be part two. Well, with uh, with the with the Nunwa not playing, um, Andre Roberts, the former Lion, he's active every game. He is the NFL's best punt returner yeah. in, tw- in 2018. Mm. He's averaging like 21 and a half yards. I think he had a 78 yard punt return touchdown opening week against the Lions. And uh, for those of us who follow it closely, we will remember Andre has been a thorn in the cliched side of the Minnesota Vikings mm. multiple and, times, and, and that is not lost. On the coaching staff. In fact, um, I you know talking to Coach Prefer yesterday, he's like, "Hey, hey, how's your day going?" You know, he's uh, yeah. so and so. I told him, "Well, this is Tuesday." Yeah. You know, so I told him what you and I go through on Tuesdays. Yeah. You know, for preparing for this and this and that. And he said, "Well, all I'm thinking about is Roberts." Yeah. You know who that is? He he was quizzing me, and I'm like, right. "Yeah, yeah, I know who he is." So I mean, Prefer knows knows Andre Roberts' history against us, and he's just one of those guys, like PA said, who's just gotten us over the years. Well, the the receiving. A topic for Roberts took place at U.S. Bank Stadium. It was that overtime game we lost where Golden Tate caught the game-winning touchdown, oh. and, and we lose by six when, when Xavier Rhodes, down memory lane we go, where Xavier Rhodes and Harrison Smith converged late. Yeah. Before that, we had a bad Blair Walsh kick. Where Remember, it was a touchback, and he was supposed to plop it inside the five. 
But then they had a massive third down conversion, like inside their 10. And it was Andre Roberts, middle yeah. of the field for was 20 really? and change. Yeah. It I was mean, Roberts. He's shifty and good, man. Yes, he's yeah. shifty. 59-yard field goal. Golden Tate can't be tackled. Right. Still haven't beaten the Lions at home. We've, My we've, guy's in the cornfields. We've beaten the Saints twice in our building before we've beaten the Lions once. <laughs> Are weird. you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Okay, so <laughs> I'm brilliant. I'm going to throw this out to you guys. You analyze because I believe uh, you guys may know more yeah. about this or understand this more than I do. I want to uh-huh. go to the defensive side of the yeah. ball. Okay. Uh, they run for a buck thirty a game, four and a half a carry. Yeah. It's, it's Crowell and it's Bilal Powell. Uh, if we stop them, we have a good chance of winning. To the defense. The bare front. So it's it's basically it's five on a line defensively for yeah, the New York yep. Jets. So it's one O lineman and one defender. Seems easy enough, okay. but it eliminates double teams. And then at sometimes it's at some points you have hard time running the ball. Uh, the person in you know we've looked at all these defensive players that we've gone up against in yep. 2018, yep. and you can pick your spots in terms of interior O line issues, etc. Uh, from DeForest Buckner to now, Leonard Williams oh, is the newest good. Uh, badass that this yes. offensive line has to go up against. So yes. the bare front, Leonard Williams, and some struggles that might ensue from that. Well, I think you you it's it's five man front, and so you think of that as five on five. Five guys are always coming, but sometimes it's not five guys who are coming. It's, right. It could be four or maybe three. The problem right. is what. You don't know which ones. Right. Yeah. That, I think, is the issue. So right. now it comes down to diagnosing and identifying yeah. who is coming and who is not. The good news is, yeah. I think Cousins is good at that. Like, we're not going to struggle with you know, a young, inexperienced rookie quarterback on the road trying to diagnose this bare front and which rush ends are coming and which are dropping. Right. I don't think we're going to have a problem with that because mm-hmm. of our experience at quarterback. Now, with the with the Jets' defensive theme for this part of uh, the opening segment, 9 to noon, you do have the five-man front. Uh, in Darren Lee, uh, a linebacker with three interceptions, and he, he had a defensive touchdown, I believe, against the Lions. Uh, again, X's and O's this evening at 6.30 on um, KFAN. Uh, Mike Zimmer brags about the uh, coverage abilities of the Jets linebackers. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he thinks they are as good at covering passes as he's seen from yeah. linebackers uh, since I don't yeah. know when. And Darren Lee had an interception last week against yeah. the Colts. Yeah. Then, then you get back to um, the safety spot, Jamal Adams. Uh, they're they're <clears throat> true strong safety. He's a game changer. Uh, he's a tackling machine, and he also covers quite well. Now, interesting for them, uh, two of their better three corners were out last week. Yes, Tremaine Johnson and something called Buster Screen. Uh, not sure. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he's a he's a nickel corner. I mean, he's all right. He used to be a brown. He yeah, can't be that he's good. all right. Yeah, he used to be a brown. Okay, but then again, so did deep... Buster Screen. So, I... so and his real name he's is right. Buster Screen. I know. Oh, I know. Yeah, and Deep Filippo used to be a brown, and he's pretty good. So he does not bust screens yeah. very often. No. I... So we uh, definitely at Peace and will be monitoring all week whether right. they are playing. Right. Um. And if if you look back. at at the game logs and specifically certain plays from the Jets' first six games. Okay, it feels like the the intermediate to deep passing game for the Minnesota Vikings definitely may be in play this week. Okay, I mean I know we go for one ninety five against Arizona and we want to run and we hope Dalvin plays and Latavius. Uh, the train got loose for uh, for one fifty five a career high. But it just, you know, the offensive coordinator likes to pass, and the quarterback's good at it, right. and Diggs and Thielen are good at it. So, it, I don't know. Uh, here's a piece in well, Wednesday over under on Kirk Cousins' uh, passes in the uh, Jets game this weekend. 
Peason will lay the number at 33 and a half. What? Oh, Which way are you learned speculators going? All right. <clears throat> well, here's the deal. It's a very overwhelming question. Right. Oh, you, you think so? so he, oh, you think okay. it's that easy? I think it's that easy. Well, here, here's the deal. In a traditional, uh, ideal scenario, yeah. I would want to be under on that. Yeah, I know. Okay? But <laughs> if the injuries are what they have been, and Jamal Adams is a rose among thorns in the secondary, you have to play to your strengths. And right. even though you're coming off 195 on the ground yeah. against Arizona at home, recognize it's against the Arizona Cardinals defense yeah. in your own building. Agreed. It's going to be a little bit tougher road to hoe um, in New York. So hey. maybe you just play to your strengths and go to the outside with your receivers. 9 to noon is at TCO Studios today. It is our weekly Wednesday stop at the Minnesota Vikings practice facility. We have the Mike Zimmer press conference 45 minutes from now. Manish Mehta, who covers the NFL and the New York Jets for the New York Daily News, joins one hour from now. And the Burke bed originates from Egan at the TCO Studios at 10.55. WabiVikings.com is here. So is Nordo producer. 9 to noon, and I'm Paul Allen. Some trivia and a more Vikings conversation when 9 to noon continues. Programming the fans today brought to you in part by the Greater Twin Cities Honda Dealers. Wild beat Arizona at XL Energy Center last night. The Wolves 2018-2019 season commences this evening from uh, San Antonio. The L.A. Dodgers beat the Milwaukee Brewers in a spine tingler to even that series at two. Those teams play again today. And the Boston Red Sox beat Dallas Keuchel and uh, roughed him up in the Houston Astros at uh, the City of Champions. And uh, Boston has seized a 2-1 lead in that uh in that American League Championship Series. We are at TCO Studios. It's my guys in the cornfields. It's Paul Allen with Wabi from Vikings.com. And uh, Nordo, uh, the producer of 9 to Noon. We have uh, some NFC North-related trivia coming up. But first, um, as I tweeted yesterday for those following the narrow casting leader, the Minnesota Vikings' third down defense Yes, over the last three games. Mm-hmm. It's 12%. I mean, it, it's absolutely. <laughs> it's Last year, it was 25.2% best since at least 1991 in the NFL. This season, it's 25%. Arizona goes 0 for 10. The uh, the defense over the last three games has permitted three first downs. Uh, they all have been via the pass. Teams have passed 20 times the last three games, attempting to get a th- uh, first down on third down, and uh, have converted three times. It's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's uh, it's just not working out for teams on third down against Mike Zimmer's defense. And uh, we got used to that last year. I don't think it got lost on on us because we would talk about the number and how historical it was, but it's easy to fall asleep on it. Like you're just used to your team getting off the field on third down, right? And then in the first four weeks of the season, your team's giving up third down conversions, and it's super frustrating. Yeah, but we've gotten to form the last two weeks. Also, zero for two on fourth down. Yeah, yeah. against Arizona, Arizona was just awful, including the goal line stand. Yeah, which by the way, goal line stands are super exciting. Right. Yeah, I mean those. Are, that's an underratedly exciting. 
um, exciting play in a game. The creative nature of Mike Zimmer's work on third down has to be close to the greatest in the NFL. I mean, he he is he if if you were to really really analytically speaking, you have have five people sit down and talk about coaches, schemes, approach, equity, and numbers over X amount of years on third down. Mike Zimmer would have to be part of the conversation. And on X's and O's tonight at 6.30, you know, I tried to bring it up with Mike. I I led talking about this third down defense. And, you know, paraphrasing mentioned, you know, you you are branded as a defensive coach. Therefore, you're very prideful in your defense. But is third down kind of your cliched baby? And he's he's very prideful in all of it. But if you look back at the way some things are orchestrated on third down, like the McKenzie Alexander sack last week, it's, you had Eric Kendricks to the right of Linval Joseph, mugging the gap. So Rosen points at him, slides the protection that way. Here's the snap. Linval to the to his left of the center now jumps to the right of the center in that gap. Right. So the line slides that way, and there is a massive opening for Mackenzie Alexander to come running through untouched right and that in the business is what we call a scheme sack exactly and and i think when you go next level on this conversation with a guy like zimmer he's like well blitzing is one thing it's it's all about your timing he you know because he's like well yeah i mean mckenzie has had two sacks but he's been unblocked on both of those so let's right. just you know let's not get too excited about yeah. those sacks yeah but thank but, you michael for scheming it that I, way exactly because the timing is right and right. so i i think i'm guessing a lot of times you're watching your opponent's previous two three four games yeah and you're like look this has worked twice against them we are not going to reinvent the wheel here we're going to use the same thing yeah. and see if they can block it or not mm-hmm it's just it's a function of the success rate is a function of when do you use it the timing has to be right and that's I think another thing that Zim yeah. is known for is his timing on the blitzes not just the design and how his players execute it but when he calls them I think he's got a knack for it and I think that's sort of at the crux of the whole is Zimmer going to give up the play calling duties or not yeah I don't think it's because George Edwards doesn't know what plays to call I think he knows what the plays are and when to call them it's just the time Timing of those pressures. Right. I think Zim is so good at that. Uh, we have some NFC North trivia that oh, uh, Nor- yeah. Nordo has constructed. Oh, that'll uh, be good. We did Vikings-related trivia last week. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really good at that. So he um, he informed me this morning that we are doing trivia again in the second segment, and this time it will be NFC North-related. Mm-hmm. I believe there are ten questions. It will be uh, you v. me. Yeah, great. Uh, are you ready? Yeah, I am. Your, your name is the buzzer. Right. Name is the buzzer. Total of 10 questions, all NFC North related. And I like that you started this out by talking about the incredible third down defense by the Minnesota Vikings because it plays into my first question. The Vikings do have the best third down defense in the NFL, 25%. Who's second in the division? Peason. With 33.9%. Yes. Chicago Bears. No. Uh, Green Bay, they're number five in the NFL. Come on! Whoa! What? Not it with is those the Lions. Detroit Lions. Come on! At thirty-three point nine percent. That's so controversial. Wow. You're gonna have to check your stats on that one. Well, so it's the controversial. It's the last three weeks. They're number five in the NFL. Oof! Last three weeks. This is a uh, this is an all-encompassing. Yes, we get it. Question. We get it, Nordo. Uh, it's still nil-nil after one 
question. NFC North. These are difficult, so don't feel bad about yourself, Wabi, if you get none. And by the, by the way, if you're a Reuben in a cube or you're, you're, uh, <laughs> you're at home or on your way to work or whatever, play along with us here at Peason. Yeah, why not? All right, question number two. I wouldn't have predicted this, but this new addition to the Bears offense leads the team in receptions Peason. and yards. Uh, Taylor Gabriel. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, he has 37, uh, excuse me, 27 catches, 300 yards, and two <clears throat> touchdowns. Robinson, Allen Robinson, I thought would be the guy, but he has uh, four more catches, uh, four more targets, three fewer catches. No one cares. My question. buzzer's not working. No, it is not. No, it is not. Okay, question number three. It is one nothing in favor of PA. Right. This team allows touchdowns in the red zone more than 64% Lobby. of the time. Yes. Packers. Ding, 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 ding. Worst in the division, bottom 10 in the NFL. That was fun. Uh, Kind of carrying on with that red, uh, the third (sighs) down defense. Wobby's a stinker. Uh, The Vikings red zone defense, I think, is almost a carrying on factor of that. 37.5% of the time they allow a touchdown. That's second in the NFL. Only the Eagles. Uh, are better than the Vikings in that regard. And the um, the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 red zone offense, last NFL, last. Oh, yes. Let's get in that 11, red percent Let's get in that red zone. Field goal kicker, 7 of 7 last game because they couldn't score. <laughs> <laughs> okay, question number four. It's 1-1. We're all locked up. This quarterback has the lowest QB rating in the division. Peason? Yes. Matt Stafford. Ding, 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 ding. 93.8. Kirk's a 102. Wow. Tricky, a question. Tricky yeah. question by the producer because the, the inclination is to go peace in Trubisky. Oh, for sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, he leads the division with a 105 rating. Of course he does. Uh, only the NFC North and the NFC South have three quarterbacks in their division with a rating over 100 right Ooh. now, in case you're curious. That's nice. Uh, question number Five. It's 2-1 announcer. This team leads the division by 10 miles in defensive interceptions. Lobby. Yes. Detroit. Uh, Peason. Yes. Chicago. Ding, 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 ding. They have 10 defensive picks so far. Green Bay, five. Vikings, four. Detroit, two. Eight different players have a pick. Eddie Jackson and Kyle Fuller both have two. November 18th. Let's play. Uh, the lead is 3-1 in favor of PA. November 18th, Soldier Field, out of bye. Let's go. <laughs> Wobble, let's play. You think that'll be a big game or not? Can't wait. Let's go. Adam Thielen. This yeah. is question six. Yeah. Adam Thielen leads everyone with 58 interse- or receptions. We know that. Who has the next most catches in the division? Wobby. Yes. Golden Tate. Wow, that's what I was going to guess. Uh, Peason and... Uh, more obvious than you think. But. Peason and we will go Devontae oh. Adams. Ding, 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 ding. 47 catches, six touchdowns amongst all those rookies uh, trying to compliment Mr. Adams. It's now, it's a commanding... I'm, I'm so good at this. Do you want to write these questions next week? Yeah, One, can do that. Lead. Uh, or PA, yeah. uh, you basically, I mean, you got to get three out of the final four here. Just to, well, you got to get all four. Well, we're just playing for fun with the rubes and the cubes. Uh, only four running backs have at least fifty attempts in the division. It's one per each team. One each team has one running back with at least fifty attempts. Mm-hmm. Who has the highest yards per attempt? Wabi. Yes. Um, 
Well, I have to. I have to buzz I in and yeah. take the first guess. Brilliant. Yards per attempt. Yards per attempt. Highest yards per attempt. And you know it's division. not us. It's Carryon Johnson. Ding, 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 ding. Wow. 5.7 per. That Damn. running game kind of humming right now. That was nice Murray watch. actually second, though. 4.8 yards per attempt. What, what, what do I need to, to tie or to win? Well, it's 4-2, and I have three questions left, I believe. Yeah. So you okay. need to, uh, to win. Did, you need all three. Did I just get that one? You did just it get It starts one. with one. Okay. Wobs, yeah. this is the second preseason game. So oh, you're okay. just working on getting right. things better for the third preseason exactly. game right. and subsequently the regular season. It's a season. marathon, not a sprint. Uh, by the way, Aaron Jones blows everyone away, but he's not going to get carries because right. of the stupid bit with right. whatever they're trying to do with Montgomery and Jamal Adams, who's not great, et cetera. Yeah, the, the less they want to play Aaron Jones, the better, if you ask me. Same. Uh, it's 4 2. Right. Okay. This one right here, number eight. Which team has the best field goal percentage? Wobs. Yes. Well, we know it's not Green Bay. Right. Um, it's, it's Chicago. Ding, 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 Oh, my ding. God. Here he comes, surging on the outside into the final furlong. It's Zenyatta. 81.8%. Vikings in the basement at 64%. Well, we're Thanks, on the way Daniel up. Carlson. We're on the way up. Ah, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Mr. Bailey has done fantastic. All right. Number nine. It's 4-3. Yeah. yeah. This quarterback has taken the most sacks in the division. Beeson. Oof. Go ahead. I'll give it to you. Oh, he got it. Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, what that was. Stafford. No! Oh my heavens, that was a big miss by you, Wobbs. Oh Wobs. my god. What? Aaron Rodgers well, with 19. Okay. Kirk Cousins yeah, we'll be happy 18. with 18. Oh, wow. Alright, here's the problem. I didn't write a tiebreaker, so if uh, Wobby, you get this, you guys just tie and deal with it. Yeah. Ties are acceptable in preseason. Final yeah. question. <laughs> this team has the fewest games remaining against playoff teams from 2017. Eason? Yes. Chicago Bears. Uh-oh! Uh-oh! Here comes baby! Well, they got us. Detroit. Minnesota Vikings, Pats and Saints. Oh, that's good news. Those are the only, technically, the only two playoff teams remaining. Uh, the Pack have four: Rams, Pats, us, and the Falcons. Yep. Vikes, uh, Detroit gets us twice. Carol, uh, excuse me. One of the blah, 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 blah. So Carolina, Rams, and Bills. Bears have five as well: Pats, Bills, Rams, and the Vikings. Good job, Nordo. That's Thank you. Uh, Wabi, see you later. Okay, see you guys. Wabi from Vikings.com. Paul Allen Nordo at TCO Studios. It's nine to noon. from Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center about 20 minutes from now. It's his Wednesday presser. Uh, some interesting things uh, into which he probably will dive uh, will include, assuming he's peppered by uh, members of the media uh, involving Dalvin Cook and uh, his hamstring and the ex- expectations this week up to the New York Jets game. Also, Riley Reef uh, did not practice last week. The left tackle missed the game against the Arizona Cardinals. Is there anything different there? And uh, the first in 
injury report for the week comes out a little later today following practice. The uh, football team practices 1 to 245 here in Egan. And then after that, you uh, both teams release their first injury reports. And um, I think it'll be interesting to see who is on that report, who practices today and or tomorrow in advance of this Jets game. Because Yesterday, the the Minnesota Vikings re-signed a defensive tackle, David Perry, uh, who was with the team in the preseason. Uh, David David even had a sack earlier this season. I believe it was in the Green Bay Packers game. It was. Then the uh, the Vikings moved on from David Perry, elevated Jalen Holmes when uh, the Everson Griffin situation emerged. Emerged. Um, Tashawn Bauer also was playing. Uh, Tashawn has been scratched the last couple of games, and uh, Jalen Holmes has gotten an opportunity now. Jalen, you know he. Was a um, he was a fourth round pick from Ohio State defensive end uh, for the Buckeyes, but uh, was being raised as a defensive tackle here within the Minnesota Vikings covenant. Specifically, all of his reps during preseason. Jalen is now playing defensive end, backing up Daniel Hunter and or Stephen Weatherly. So you know there was a moment in that Arizona Cardinals game where Linval Hungry left the game, and um, and David Perry now being signed early in the week. You know the uh, the intuitive nature of yours truly uh, is just wondering if if everything is squared away with ninety eight into this game against the Jets because with Mike Hughes going down with injury uh, as predicted yesterday nine to noon I did not believe uh, their signing would be a cornerback even though they did put Craig James on the practice squad uh, but um, but indeed it's David Perry so uh, we will see what Mike Zimmer has to say today at uh, ten in the morning and uh, we also will see what that first injury report looks like following today and the who, what, where, when, and why of practice. Uh, The producer, Eric Nordquist, has Nordo's numbers. We unveil those each and every Wednesday, 9 to noon, and here they are. One quick question before we get to the numbers, though. Uh, Have you had an opportunity or just, you know, whether it's by viewing, looking back in a week, has the defensive line rotation, you know, kind of evolved in in a positive direction? And, And the reason I ask that, I know Everson's out. So, like Jalen Holmes, I saw him getting those reps at defensive end, and David Perry would do something if Linval, if there either there's an issue or just to provide support in that regard. Right. But I saw you know the fumble recovery from Tom Johnson. Like slowly but surely, mm-hmm. I'm seeing Andre Patterson's group. You're getting them in different situations, and it seems like the rotation that uh, we talked about preseason is really kind of evolving in a good way. There, there are two defensive players for the Vikings who have been amazingly eye-opening to me. One is J. Ron Curse, where into his third year, you know, with uh, with the preseason and and what he does on special teams and limited opportunities defensively, you know, there there was a time in a preseason interview I did with the head coach Mike Zimmer where I, I brought up uh, J. Ron Curse and strictly his special teams acumen and, and ability. And, you know, Mike was quick to say, J-Ron has really improved defensively this offseason, recognizing things more quickly, and he's very athletically gifted. So Curse plays a fair amount, and um, and he definitely has gotten a lot better. Stephen Weatherly is getting better snap by snap. Hmm. And, you know, as Stephen, was, he was a seventh-rounder, and and he didn't get much opportunity behind the likes of Griffin, Hunter, and or Robison. But Andre Patterson and his assistant Robert Rodriguez are so good at raising defensive ends and and assisting them with their technique and instilling confidence in them. 
Stephen, Stephen around the facility more with, with people like me and stuff, he just, he's more chatty. He's just more comfortable within his skin. I saw the same thing happen with Shamar Stephan, where Shamar was a seventh rounder from UConn, and Shamar was good and very technically sound, but very quiet cat. You know, then he knew he belonged and, and he was making plays and he was getting an opportunity to be active every Sunday and contribute as part of the, um, the highly touted front seven for the Vikings. Subsequently, he just became more comfortable within his skin and more confident. That's happening with Weatherly now. It's assisted with the rotation and, uh, Weatherly, you know, if and or when Griffin comes back, the one, two, three punch at defensive end now looks fantastic. Oof, digging that. Uh, on to the numbers for the NFC PA. So we've done ranks, you know, these five teams love them, these bottom feeders hate them, et cetera, maybe mm-hmm. the living in purgatory. Well, I'm looking this week at teams that are second in their respective divisions. So, for instance, in the NFC North, the Vikings and Packers are tied at 3-2-1. and one. NFC East, another bottleneck. It's yeah. Eagles 3-3, three and three, Cowboys 3-3. Three and three. And then you have the the Seahawks in the East at, or West at three and three, and then uh, and then the Carolina Panthers three and two Norv. in the NFC South. Uncle Norvin Company. So I was thinking about that, and then I saw something on ESPN.com them uh, putting percentages together, maybe arbitrary, maybe simulation based, etc. Percentages of these teams' chances in making the playoffs. So I have a combination of their percentages with my outlook. You analyze. And I'm going to start at the bottom here. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks, according to the website, have a 47% chance of making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's nearly a coin flip. Uh, but they're fighting for a wild card because they will not catch the Rams in the division. I hope right. we agree on that. Yes. Their next five at Lions host the Chargers. Hold on. Um, loss. Go ahead. Host the Chargers. Loss. At Rams. Loss. Host the Packers. Win. At Panthers. They was that four or five games? That's five. Yeah, they they they'll be hard pressed to go three and two during that stretch. And then it's good night. Right. So moving on from them. The Cowboys. Nearly forty nine percent on ESPN. Part of it is because they're tied with the de- defending champions yeah. and the Redskins are less than perfect to yeah, top what, the division. What a ratty division. I, I mean the, the as we mentioned in the Eagles game, the, the Vikings got the Eagles at a very good time because they still were discombobulated and putting things together and sec they were having secondary woes and, and some injuries on and, and demotions on the offensive line. This Eagles train will come churning at you very hard. Correct. Probably right now to Thanksgiving-ish. So the Eagles are your division champion there. Outside of that, it it has not been an embarrassment of riches, though. And people getting excited about the Cowboys' win last weekend. You needed playmaking and like 80 yards rushing from Dak to get it done. The offense is Zeke. And then periodic playmaking from Dak. Yeah. That's it. As you mentioned, it's with the Eagles. Uh, their, their next game's here at Skins. I think that's an L. Gritty Titans at home. You think Dallas loses at Washington? I think they do. Right. Because I'm at home, very, Washington plays very well. Very 50-50 game, though. Uh, so I think I think they're dead. I don't think the Cowboys make the playoffs. Uh, the Packers, nearly a coin flip, 49% on ESPN. They're at the Rams and Patriots. Yeah. Those two, I believe, will be L's. Then they still have to play the Vikings on the road as well. Uh, it's slow starts for them. It's getting nothing from rookies. It's Jimmy Graham not being found in the red zone. They have six road games remaining for yeah. me. Uh, the reason I put them below the Vikings, which I'm about to get to, is because they they got to come here 
and that Rams and Patriots bit's going to be tough, and at Seattle, and so well, and they and they have Seattle on the schedule as well. So and that Miami team that comes to Lambeau, by the way, granted Green Bay will be favored, but Green Bay was just favored by nine points against C.J. Beathard and the Niners and almost lost. Uh, the Cindy's Packers are very lucky, and and when I brought this up to him yesterday, I could hear. I could hear an exasperated nature in his voice. If Kyle Fuller does not drop an easy interception week one, they lose that game. Yes. You know, and then you then you need Daniel Carlson to miss three field goals to get a tie. And then you need Kyle Shanahan to completely butcher the game late with not running the ball and, and play calls and stuff like that. I mean, how, how do you not run the ball that late against Green Bay and give Rodgers an opportunity to, to come back and beat you? When you were hitting six or seven a clip. Right, at, at for like 160 in the game or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think Green Bay is living on borrowed time right now, but I'm not going to disrespect the organization because it's on a bye. The quarterback will come back out of that bye. His knee will be markedly healthier. They're going to get Allison and Cobb back, and they're going to get some things squared away. So, you know, it's they're, they're, they're very fortunate to be where they are now. And just three more for you. Moving up. Now, the, the Panthers had one of the lowest of this group ESPN gives them a 35% chance of making the playoffs. Percentages are arbitrary. Right. I like them better because it's only a two-horse race in the South, yep. uh, whereas the NFC North is the tightest division in the NFL right now, just a game back, I believe, are the Lions. Yeah. And then the Bears, of course, are the top for now, Vikings yeah. fans. Uh, but five home games left. It's Ravens. I think that's going to be a tough one. They can Ooh. win that. Seahawks got to travel across the country. Yeah. And then it's three divisional games. They still have all those at home. I think they can get three or four of those. You have Tampa and Cleveland on What's the road. What's their record now? Uh, three and two. Three and two. Winning the, it, It's a 12 to win that division. Um, it's an 11 or 12 to win that division. You know, I think um, I think Rivera, Norv Turner, and that team they they can get to ten ish, eleven ish on the season, which is a wild card spot. Yeah, I think um, I, I like their defense. I do not like their secondary, and I think it's going to get worse as the season goes on. They're giving three hundred plus up in the air every game. Yep, the McCaffrey, DJ Moore, uh, Funchess, Greg Olson situation when he's healthy. You know, Cam with the big arm. Yeah, I I would as of right now with the right to change it. I would have Carolina as a wild card team. I'm with you on that. And then uh, Vikings, uh, we have plenty of time to analyze them. I have them as the second most likely of the second place teams uh, to win it. And then the Eagles are up top. Well, the Vikings are going to win the division. So I mean, if we if, if we are if if we are analyzing wild card related scenarios, um, I I would make the Vikings favored from here to win the division. Well, and I would put it this way: they only have two more playoff teams in the. Uh, it is the Pats and then the Saints. Uh, one of them at home, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, remaining in the season, so you got to get, you got to, sw- you got to either sweep or get one of one of uh, two from the Bears. Yeah. And that's no, that's no easy pie, uh, you know, eating scenario there. And then the Lions. We haven't beaten the Lions at U.S. Bank Stadium yet. Well, that, the Lions at U.S. Bank Stadium, it definitely not an easy pie eating scenario. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no doubt. Uh, but um, that was elite rambling by me. Th- this is a this is a massive game this weekend, and and you know what? When you only have sixteen, I guess they're all massive. You took a fat, ugly L to the Bills. You had that ugly tie against Green Bay. You won as an underdog at Philly. 
and you did what you were supposed to do, kind of settling into stride against Arizona. This, um, you know, the, this this one this weekend is tricky. It, it's it's and you brought it up in the opening, and and Zimmer talks about it extensively this evening at six thirty on X's and O's. The the Jets have enough physicality, toughness, and team speed with a quarterback who clearly gets it in a good running game and and an all star defensive tackle and Leonard Williams uh, to make this sucker tough. So it's um it's going to be a very fun game this weekend. One I definitely think the Vikings can win. And then you mentioned it earlier, but lastly, it's Philadelphia Eagles. They're three and three. This is where they take over. So here's what they got going on. They got the Panthers this weekend, which I think they'll beat the Panthers at home. Yeah. Then it's a neutral game with the Jags in London. Uh, Jaguars, by the way, defense falling apart. Right. Uh, Blake Bortles maybe uh, turning into a pumpkin. Not sure. Yeah. Uh, but things are not going well for the Jaguars. Is really the uh, the point of that. Then they host the Cowboys. So they go two of three, probably three of three at this stretch. Yeah. Carson Wentz getting better every single week. Washington wins at home, and a lot of that's on our former guy, Adrian Peterson, right. who with the multitude of injuries ran at like six yards a carry and 95 yards last weekend was fantastic. Uh, it's five home games remaining. Um, I think they win the division handily. NFC East is the Eagles. That's our numbers for second-place teams and where they sit right now. Let's hear from Mike Zimmer from TCO Performance Center. After this, it's 9 to noon. You're listening to PA. He just has a real sense of who he is and what it means to be who he is. On the Fan. Sooner or later, we will have a Mike Zimmer press conference carried a weekly 9 to noon uh, from Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center. Absolute treat weekly to uh, bring the radio show to the TCO studios uh, with uh, the Burke bit one hour from now joining us here in said studios. Also, Manish Mehta who covers the New York Jets in the NFL for the New York Daily News. He'll be joining about 20 minutes from now, um, and that uh, that will follow the press conference uh, conducted each and every Wednesday uh, by Mike Zimmer into a week of practice for the 3-2-1 and Minnesota Vikings uh, taking on the 3-3 three and New York Jets. After that, the Vikings come home for Sunday night football. Uh, that, that will be a frenzy. Uh, the New Orleans Saints will be in town. It'll be Minneapolis Miracle Week for... Uh, the uh, the fan base and uh, NBC. In fact, uh, NBC with Football Night in America already at Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center, putting things together to uh, kind of commemorate and uh, rewalk us through the Minneapolis miracle. Case Keenum to Stephon Diggs, the Utah rookie safety takes the L, and uh, we advance to Philly, uh, where the team eventually would lose and lose handily to the Philadelphia Eagles. In fact, uh, Pete Bursich and uh, yours truly are uh, sitting down with Michelle Tafoya today at 1215 uh, to uh, kind of give our recap of what went into the call, the moment, the stadium, and uh, stuff like that. You know, I, I know they're going to sit down with uh, Stefan Diggs. I believe they are or have 
with Case Keenum, who who obviously is a quarterback for Denver now, and uh, that will all be part of the of uh, the pregame festivities on um, NBC for Football Night in America a week from Sunday. Though I still look back and just the shock coursing the adrenaline coursing through my veins as I'm lean. We're in the radio booth, leaned back against the wall, down by a point. I'm thinking. Well, what are we going to do for the season-ending montage here? Uh, it's negative, okay. Brian McKnight, one last one cry. One last cry, okay. We've done that before, but it feels right in this particular moment. And 10 seconds left. Need a miracle here. Need a, need a, need a Greg Lewis moment. That's yeah. what legends are made of, Paul. Wow. And it happened. And uh, an absolute chaos. I mean, I'm watching Microsoft Surfaces flying through the coach's booth to my right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the suite to my left is an absolute pandemonium. That was great. And, uh, you know, from a fan perspective, it's not a Super Bowl, but, it fe- you know, you look back at that season, that was kind of our yeah. Super Bowl-esque moment. Yeah. and it, uh, was, it was the greatest moment in the history of U.S. Bank Stadium. And I, I mean, I it's a very young like history, and I know there have been some big spot concerts there and some other things to take place. That was the greatest moment in the history of U.S. Bank Stadium, probably surpassing the Vikings beating Cincinnati December 17th to win the division. Well, and I mean, you, you can at me if you want and uh, name a bigger moment. Okay, well, the only other moment I could think of actually was in the Cincinnati game, but do you remember when Teddy came back onto the field? Yeah. Now he subsequently threw an interception. Yeah. That was ugly. That was a memorable moment, but when you talk about if they were to commemorate the uh, you know, biggest, most significant moments in the young history of the House of Pain, Minneapolis Miracles, first and foremost. By 10 miles, and uh, it might be the, the greatest moment or play at U.S. Bank Stadium for the next 10 years, uh, depending upon how this season and future seasons roll out. But that'll be fun next week. You know, the key thing is we talked about early on, though, and what I'm excited to hear from Mike Zimmer here as he, uh, as he approaches the podium here shortly is, you know, this Jets team, it's, they're intriguing. And it's kind of interesting, you know, how you look down on the Jets because they've been bad for so long. And, you know, Mark Sanchez, Geno Smith related demons. And now this kid comes in out yeah. of USC. And, you know, they're calling him the best quarterback in New York already because everyone hates Eli and Shermer's team. And they got a cool, young, physical defense, running games working for now, no-name receivers. Uh, very interesting opportunity this weekend to uh, put your boot on the throat of this AFC team out west. You know, you know why, um, why Eli Manning cannot hear the criticism coming at him in hmm. the New York market, don't you? Uh, no, I don't know. Well, because both Super Bowl rings are in his ears. Ah. So, therefore... They're plugging any opportunity to hear that. So Eli, I'm sure, recognizes he needs to be better, likewise for the head coach, Pat Shermer. Uh, but Eli Manning's equity speaks for itself. And um, the uh, the Giants are at Atlanta on, on on Monday Night Football. And Atlanta has become quite toothless with, uh, with the old defense. So we'll see if uh, Odell Beckham Jr., Sterling Shepard, Red Ellison, Saquon Barkley, Eli Manning, and uh, Charges guy Will Hernandez, we'll see if they can make some <laughs> memories on Monday Night Football. Yeah, but it, it, it may not even be about Eli being better at this stage. It might already be lost from a season standpoint, not only because of the record, but it kind of sounds like none of those guys really get along. I mean, even after you, you give all that money to Odell, and you're starting to see the frustration and the immaturity kind of peek through yeah. uh, into his mannerisms on the sideline. The other night he claimed it was cramps. He leaves halftime, yeah. leaves before halftime starts uh, in that Philly game. You know, the frustration factor with losing. And, and all of that really shadows hey. in Shermer's first year is, is Saquon Barkley 
is a phenomenon, and they have that yeah. in Big Blue for a very long time. You know, the uh, the Friday Football Feast co-host, Paul Charchian, uh, he seriously, legit, he, he's, a, he's a very smart football mind, very calculated, uh, obviously branded and identifiable with fantasy football. But he does deserve credit because he was the number one person I remember who dug in his heels up to the NFL draft and implored the New York Giants to take one of these quarterbacks at two and not Saquon Barkley. Now, I predicted Barkley would be two, A, because I had intel, and B, because Barkley is a quality, game-changing player. So maybe no long-term regrets that they have Saquon Barkley, but see, that's what's in vogue in the New York market now, backtracking negatives, and it would be interesting to to and you know what I might even bring it up with uh, Manish Mehta, uh, the Jets and NFL beat writer for the New York Daily News, within the next twenty minutes. Uh, here's Mike Zimmer. All right. Good morning. Fire away. Good morning. Nothing? How have you seen Daniil step up um, since Everson hasn't been here? Honestly, I don't think he's done anything different than uh, when Everson was here. Uh, you know, the guys can be getting better all the time. Um, you know, I think he's obviously playing with a lot of confidence. Um, he's His reaction times may be a little bit quicker now, but I don't think it had anything to do with Everson. What do you see from Sam Darnold on film? Uh, very strong arm, uh, very accurate, moves well in the pocket, scrambles well, you know, gets out of there um, fairly quick. Um, Seems to be going with, the, with to the right place with the ball. Um, he's, he's throwing some great deep balls. What has he shown you in his ability to adjust? I know the last two weeks he's had to beat teams differently with the Broncos, the deep pass, and then the Colts taking away the deep pass and him having to go kind of those intermediate routes. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, what everybody tells me, he's a very smart kid, a really good athlete. Um, you know, I'm sure they work with him each week on, you know, what to what to try to uh, accomplish throughout the week. You know, their wide receiver screens, their, uh, you know, they've got some really good players, you know, um, the back coming out of the backfield, um, you know, different packages they use, they try to keep you off balance. What was, the, what was the thinking on the roster on the roster move yesterday, bringing David Barry back? I like him. He's a good player. What do the Jets do best? What's the strength of their football team? Um, well, I get... A lot of turnovers on defense. Um, they're second in the league in, in getting turnovers. And offensively, they run the ball very well, 100, 130 yards a game rushing. Um, you know, I think, <clears throat> I mean, if you talk about, you know, their punt returners, a great punt returner, Roberts, um, I think you talk about their lines. They're both big and physical, um, offensive and defensive lines. Uh, Jamal Adams is a heck of a safety that plays uh, in the box a lot, but in a lot of different areas, blitzes and things. So uh, you know, they, they do a good job. Like in the time that you worked with Todd Bowles in, in Dallas, what do you remember about him being on your defensive staff? Um, Todd was a, really a good coach, a smart guy, um, you know, very dedicated with his work. Um, I can't say enough good things about him. Do you see his concepts in your approach to defense? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, you know, Todd's been, I mean, there, there's obviously some carryover in some of the coverage things that we used to do, but, um, <clears throat> you know, Todd was, you know, he had his own 
package, I guess to say, in Arizona, um, you know, when he was there. And I'm, you can kind of see it going into um, into uh, with the Jets along with, you know, Casey Rogers was my D-line coach there in uh, Dallas. So, uh, you know, you see a lot of similarities. Where's Brian O'Neill made the biggest strides? <clears throat> uh, pretty much everywhere. Uh, you know, I mean, when he came in, he was raw, I guess, is the best way to say it. I think he's improved his technique quite a bit. <clears throat> um, he's been a good battler. Um, you know, I, I would say probably in the pass game is the best. You know, in the run game, he was always pretty good. So I think probably in the pass game. Did you say if you ran for 200 yards every game, it would be pretty tough to beat? Yeah, I'd like it. <laughs> I don't know if we win, how many games we win, but I'd like it. Um, yeah, I think it's important that we run the football. Um, you know, that takes some of the pressure off your offensive line. It takes some of the pressure off the quarterback. Uh, you know, those kind of things. It helps open up play-action passes. So I think all those things are good anytime you can do that. Where is Adam Thielen helping Kirk most under in those pressure situations? I think dependability, you know, and being able to trust him that he's going to catch the ball wherever it's delivered. Um, but it's a it's a combination of both those two guys, really. <clears throat> Mike, what do you think your offense needs to do to keep the ball away from that Jets defense? Has been taking it away some. Yeah, they've done a good job. They get their hands on a lot of balls. Uh, you know, we have to be. <clears throat> I, I feel like we have to make sure that. Um, you know, we open up some of the spaces in there so that, you know, it doesn't get congested on, on some of these things because when it does, uh, a lot of bad things happen uh, for the offenses. What's, uh, what's been kind of the, the key to Kirk being so good on the road so far this year? Uh, I don't know. I, he's been pretty good everywhere, I think, but I don't I don't really think the road matters. You know, it's it's not who we play or where we play. It's how we play. You think um, Sheldon Richardson has made Lynn Ball more effective having him next to him? Yeah, I think so. I think, but you know, I mean, Linville's a good player too. Uh, but Sheldon, having Sheldon's presence in there, I think has helped. You know, maybe more so the ends than than Linville. What's the identity of a Mike Zimmer football team, and with uh, Kirk Cousins coming in with that incredible contract, does that kind of change the, the idea of a Viking team? No, I don't think so. I think you know, hopefully we we we're a smart football team. We're tough. Um, we're passionate about the job that we do, and you know, typically we know how to win games in the fourth quarter. So I don't think you know how we move the ball is. Has changed that part of it. Um, you know, obviously we we want to be um, a tough team that can run the football, and uh, you know, but some of the situations haven't dictated that yet. You know, so but that was good to see this this last week. How do you feel your ends are holding up, playing maybe more snaps than you had anticipated, Hunter and Wendell? Good. I think Donnell can play a million plays if he wanted to. He's 22 or something, <laughs> and he's 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 uh, built like Adonis. And like is Everson still away from the team this week? Yes. Why is now about the time with it being less than two weeks away, where the team starts to explore the trade market with it kind of starting to creep up in case you need to fill some needs that you're looking at in the roster? 
You know, I haven't talked to Rick too much about that lately. I've been kind of in my own cubby hole, and he's been in his, so we haven't talked too much about trades. Typically, that comes down that last week, but uh, we have not said, you know, I haven't, I haven't said talked to him about trade at all. Mike, how has uh, Richardson played since that first <clears throat> game or two when he turned a lot of heads? He's still doing really well. Um, I've been really impressed with Sheldon. Um, and not just his play, but his the way he's come in here, try to learn the techniques. We're we're trying to teach him uh, his professionalism. Um, you know how he handles himself in the meetings. Uh, he's been really good with with everything. And then, you know, there's been some uh, plays that a lot of people don't recognize that I see on tape. That I'm like, you know, that that's a heck of a play. You know, the, you know everybody sees the sacks and the hits on a quarterback, and you know. But they don't see sometimes when you when you split the double team and you make a tackle or you run 20 yards down the field and make a tackle. Those those things are impressive to me. Is he playing differently now than maybe last year when you guys were like both in the process of watching film on and deciding whether to bring him in? Well, we're trying to teach him some different things, yeah. Time for two more. Losing uh, Mike Hughes, who's the uh, weight fall on on the back end with that? It could be a lot of people. Uh, you know, we've... Uh, um, obviously, McKenzie will get some more work, but um, you know Holton Hill might get some more work. Um, you know, again, Anthony Harris and, and Iloka, you know, all those guys. So, um, you know, we're just going to try and do best we can to move guys around to where we can feel comfortable with uh, playing the things we're trying to get done that particular week. What do you thought of McKenzie's third season so far? I thought he played a lot better this last week. Um, you know, did some good things. He's been uh, um, more disciplined in the coverage, I guess the best way to say it. Um, you know, I think he understands things so much better now, you know, being there. But, uh, you know, sometimes these young guys have a hard time moving around to different spots, and so I think it's just good to, you know, settle things down. Okay, thanks. That's Mike Zimmer from Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center. More from the head coach tonight at 6.30 via X's and O's on FM 100.3 The Fam. Let's uh, let's learn more about uh, these New York Jets with uh, beat writer Manish Mehta with the New York Daily News. That's around the corner. You're listening to PA. Minnesota Vikings head coach Mike Zimmer joins us. Does anybody listen us. to this? Seriously? What? Does anybody listen to this? This radio show? Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I don't listen to it. On the fan. Oh. Programming the fan today brought to you in part by Bradshaw and Bryant. Manish Mehta covers the New York Jets and uh, the National Football League for the New York Daily News. Very well respected for what he does. And uh, he's nice enough to join 9 to noon now. Manish, it's Paul Allen. How are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you? Uh, very well. Thank you very much for joining the show. And, you know, I, I, I know be, because I've either heard you on Sirius NFL radio or followed you on Twitter or whatever. Uh, you know, I know that you know a lot about the not only the New York Jets, but New York football in general. So before I deep dive on the Jets, I'd like to ask you a Giants related question, if that's OK. Sure. We um, you know, we just brought it up on my radio show where. You know, in 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 reading, you know, either stuff in the Daily News or the New York Post or or things that originate from the Big Apple, you know, you're you're getting a lot of uh, of opinions that the Giants absolutely whiffed at two by not taking a quarterback. And I'm just wondering because either with your opinion or you following it as closely as you do, 
before the draft was the wide-ranging opinion the Viking, the uh, Giants have to take quarterback at two, or was everybody okay with Saquon Barkley? Well, I think you know if you were being objective about it and watched the Giants over the last two, two and a half years, you would have known that uh, Eli Manning clearly was on the, the downside of his career in the twilight. So uh, objectively speaking, uh, I, it was clear uh, uh, that, the, that the Giants needed to replace or at least draft a quarterback and then ultimately replace Eli Manning with that young quarterback. Uh, the Giants took uh, you know the high percentage play, if you will. Uh, they got a player who I believe is going to be terrific, uh, but he is a running back. So when you look at this, uh, you know, is Saquon Barkley going to be a 15-year player in the NFL? No. Is Sam Darnold, for example, going to be a 15-year starter in the NFL? Perhaps. You don't know definitively, of course. But uh, the shelf life for running backs is much shorter than the shelf life for a quarterback. So even if Saquon Barkley is a dynamic player, he will be on the downside of his career at the age of 29, for example, maybe 30. And typically, as you know, Paul, quarterbacks thrive uh, starting at the age of 29 and 30. You guys are seeing that with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. So, look, I right. thought it was a mistake, and I think that even though Barkley is a good player, it, it, they needed to draft the quarterback. It's not an indictment on the quality of player they got. It's the indictment on the organization for not recognizing that the time for Eli Manning is over. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, how how close do you genuinely feel the Jets were to securing Kirk Cousins, and and you know how and subsequently how happy are fans with Sam Darnold? Well, look, they thought they had a strong offer. Ultimately, they offered the most money for uh, for Kirk Cousins, the thirty million dollars per year, as opposed to the the twenty eight that Minnesota ultimately paid. They felt confident uh, that they could get him. Of course, in free agency. It's such a crapshoot, and there's a big unknown because the team can only control so much, right? They can control the offer, and that's about it. So I know that people in the building really wanted him. That was their plan A for a reason. Now, they had contingency plans, which included obviously signing Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater and then ultimately moving up from 6-3 to three to secure a quarterback who they believed at the time would be Baker Mayfield. Let's, you know, let's not get that confused. They liked Sam Darnold. They... They would have drafted Sam Darnold at one overall. However, when they made the trade with Indianapolis after Kirk Cousins signed with the Vikings, they thought uh, there was a great possibility that the player they were trading up for was Baker Mayfield. So they didn't get Mayfield. They got the guy that they probably would have taken at one regardless. So they're exceedingly pleased uh, about that. It's an interesting question, Paul, because I know it's easy for Jets fans to paint Kirk Cousins as the villain because he didn't come to New York. But I don't know, and I'm a Sam Darnold fan. I think this guy's going to be terrific, and I don't think the Jets have that much to be concerned moving forward. But when you look at what the alternative alternative scenario would have been, would you have been better off if you were the Jets to have Kirk Cousins, who's 30 years old, probably has a five- to seven-year window, uh, and four other building block pieces? Because the Jets gave up three second-round draft picks in order to move up from six to three to ultimately get Sam Darnold. If that trade never happened and they signed Kirk Cousins, they would have Kirk Cousins. They would have had the number six overall pick in the draft. They would have kept both of their 2018 second-round picks, and they would have kept their 2019 second-round picks. So you're talking about what's better for the Jets, Sam Darnold perhaps for 15 years versus a smaller window for Kirk Cousins plus four players, a first-rounder and three second-rounders who you believe would be the foundation for your team for the next 15 years. It's an interesting question. 
Boy, that's fantastic analysis. Uh, Manish Mehta, New York Daily News, covers the Jets in the National Football League for uh, for said scribe. Now, uh, with the with Sam Darnold, you know, I'm I'm I, I don't expect Vikings coach Mike Zimmer to come out and directly say it the way I'm about to put it. But, you know, the Vikings have played rookie Josh Allen and rookie Josh Rosen. Uh, honestly, I believe he thinks Darnold is the best of those three. And honestly, I, I he, he he might not think it's close, you know, off, off what he's seen deep diving into this Jets game. So, like, for somebody who watches Sam all the time, what are some, some traits he possesses that makes him good six games into it? Well, this is something he's possessed, Paul, really since the moment that he uh, arrived at the facility, is that when things break down, and you saw this at USC as well, when things break down and he rolls out of the pocket, uh, first and foremost, he's got the ability to, to move the pocket. Not, not everyone has that. He's not a statue, so you have that going for him. Uh, and most importantly, when he does roll out of the pocket, he is not looking to run. Now, he can run, and he has shown that both in college and in this early part of his NFL career, but he keeps his eyes downfield, and that is such a an elementary thing, but such a difficult thing for young quarterbacks because the, the natural inclination, of course, is that if your first or second read isn't available and there's a lane, you're going to take it, you're going to run. Uh, whereas Darnold, if the, that first read isn't open, maybe the second read isn't open, he'll try to create time and space by moving the pocket, but he'll always keep his eyes downfield, and that takes a lot of discipline. You've got quarterbacks in this league who've been around for five, six, seven years that don't do that. So I, I think that's a valuable trait that, that he seemingly had for the last couple of years, and that's something that served him well to this point and obviously will serve him well moving forward. Where does the injury loss of wide receiver Quincy Inunwa hurt most? Well, he, he has an element of toughness in, in the run after the catch area. He, most of his catches have been uh, in, the, in that short area, five yards to the line of scrimmage, but he does so many good things after he catches the ball. And he's just a tough player, you know, just the way he's built, his mindset. Uh, and when you look at it statistically, look, they're losing the guy who Sam Darnold has targeted it the most through six games, the guy who has got the most receptions and the most yards, and it looks like that's a severe hit. But I do think that they've got enough players at the wide receiver and tight end position, specifically Jermaine Curse, who picked up the slack last week. Uh, Terrell Pryor, we'll see how healthy he is. He, he's dealing with a groin injury, but he's flashed in the some in the you know the small moments that in the small opportunities that he's had to this point. They've got uh, two tight ends, uh, Neil Sterling, who is a de facto wide receiver. In fact, he was a wide receiver in college, so he's another pass catching option. And their rookie fourth round pick out of Miami, Chris Herndon, who's you know really in my mind going to be a terrific player in this league. I know the Jets are extremely high on him. So even though, and that's not even to, beginning to mention Robbie Anderson, who's the, the guy who can stretch the field for them. So even though they don't have that star power at the, at the pass-catching uh, positions, they do have, I think, enough players to, to mitigate the loss of Quincy and no more. Frankly, I think the loss of Marcus May is, is, is going to have a bigger impact on this team. Boy, the uh, the Vikings. Speaking of uh, the Jets' defense, the, the Vikings are on a run of, uh, of of facing unbelievably good defensive linemen. I mean, from DeForest Buckner to Mike Daniels, Jerry Hughes, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Aaron Donald, uh, Chandler Jones. Last week was a handful. Now Leonard Williams. You know, and 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 Le- Leonard has had a good career. What kind of a season is he having? He's having a good season. It's an interesting discussion with the Leonard Williams because uh, immediately, as you know, when you're talking about uh, defensive linemen, 
unless you're talking about a nose tackle, the number that everyone wants to see is that sack total. What is the sack total? Is it good enough? Is it high enough? Uh, and they, I think, incorrectly judge a player's production based off of that number. And even though Leonard Williams hasn't had this, the sack total, frankly, for the last couple of years, he's, he's been a disruptor. In many ways, uh, I liken him to Sheldon Richardson. Sheldon Richardson's a player who I believe only hasn't one sack this year, but he's had a team high in quarterback hits. He's a guy who moves the quarterback off his spot, and that's where Richardson's value is, and that's where, frankly, Leonard Williams' value is. And obviously both of those players would like to get home more often, but uh, the fact that those sack numbers aren't high isn't indicative of how productive they have been for their respective teams this year. So Leonard Williams has had a really a good season in my mind. He's a damn good football player. Uh, he's going to be up for a new contract. We'll see what, you know, what his value is uh, from a team's perspective in the offseason. But he's a guy that you have to account for. Don't also sleep on Henry Anderson. This is a player that the Jets traded for uh, during the draft, seventh-round pick, a guy who was out of place in, uh, in Indianapolis' scheme. They were transitioning back to a 4-3. The Jets play a 3-4. That's where Henry Anderson uh, had, you know, had done his best work at Stanford and his best work in limited time in his first couple years in Indianapolis before getting injured. So you know, Leonard Williams, rightfully so, you know, should get a lot of attention. But Henry Anderson is another player who has been disruptive for this team through six weeks. Why did the Jets trade Sheldon Richardson 14 months ago? Yeah, great question, right? Because he's a tremendous talent, uh, you know, as, as I just said. Uh, I don't think they wanted to pay him. Uh, he also had a couple off-field trans- trans- transgressions, which I frankly don't think were that big of a concern. But uh, yeah, I think it was more about reliability uh, more than uh, productivity and talent. Uh, it was not an indictment on his what they believed he would be as a football player. Uh, I've been one of Sheldon Richardson's biggest fans since he came into the league and won Defensive Rookie of the Year. And he's a player to me, especially this year, you know, on a one-year, uh, $8 million prove-it deal. Uh, you're going to get the best out of Sheldon Richardson this year. And even if those sack numbers, as I said, don't uh, ultimately wind up in the double-digit range, as you guys can tell, he is a, an important piece to any defensive line. And I think, uh, frankly, he's going to have a good season, and I'll be interested to see what happens to him in 2019 and beyond in terms of whether he wants to stay in Minnesota or, uh, you know, land a multi-year bigger, uh, you know, bigger money deal somewhere else. Couple of quickies to close for Manish Mehta, the uh, Jets and NFL beat writer for the New York Daily News. Uh, New York City, Manish, a Jets or Giants town and why? <laughs> uh, look, it's a Giants town because of history, because of success. They've got the Super Bowl rings. The Jets have one uh, that they celebrated uh, actually this past weekend. It was 50 years ago when the man first walked on the moon. So it's been a long time. Uh, you know, the, the Giants are the older franchise, obviously, the established franchise in this league, and throughout time, the more successful franchise. Now, that being said, clearly the Jets are the better team in the, in the here and now. But we've seen that in different pockets of time, most recently with Rex Ryan back in 2009 and 2010 when they went to back-to-back AFC championship games. They were the toast of the time, toast of the town, I should say, back then. But, uh, you know, I don't think it will ever truly be a Jets town until the Jets uh, win another Super Bowl. Last one. Uh, for Jets fans, is it is it forever frustrating being in a division with Belichick and Brady? Absolutely. <laughs> and I think what makes it even uh, more frustrating is that in, in many ways you could say that the Jets launched Tom Brady's career because Mo Lewis was the one who knocked out through Bledsoe, and that opened the door for, for Tom Brady. And, look, I think Tom Brady was going to be Tom Brady regardless of whether that incident happened. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the obvious 
storyline, they've been a pain in their in their side for the better part of two decades uh, because uh, of the best. Uh, for my money, the best quarterback in NFL history and certainly the best coach uh, in my lifetime. Uh, fantastic. Thank you very much, Manish. Nice meeting you on the radio, and um, I'll see you Sunday at the stadium, okay? Thanks, Paul. Take care. Manish Mehta, New York Daily News, covers the Jets in the NFL uh, with some very analytical and um, um, comprehensive answers uh, regarding the New York Jets and the state of New York football. Burke Bit here at TCO Studios 25 minutes from now. Around the corner, uh, we chat about the Wild victory, the Timberwolves season opening game this evening, and um, the baseball championship series. It's 9 to noon. Time now for the Vikings Report on the Fan. Presented by Quick Rewards from Quick Trip. Offensive coordinator John DiFilippo joins PA after this from Quick Trip. From the TCO studios at Twin Cities Orthopedic Performance Center, 1044. Good morning. The Burke Bit within the next 15 minutes. A couple of segments with Super Bowl winning center Matt Burke. Weekly 9 to noon. Uh, we break from football momentarily uh, to um, give uh, some cursory views on the world of sporting activity locally and nationally. And um, also get into the producer of 9 to noon a little bit, Eric Nordquist. Uh, Mr. Nordo, <clears throat> well... You know, there there are two things within the last 48 hours you consistently have doubted, and you are proving wrong on both of them. I'd like to point them out. Please do. One, you forever doubt KFA and plus. And all it does is make plays. What What is the frequency? 96 what? 96.7. 96.7. KFAN. Plus. The plus. Yeah. The end of the plus is airing opposite yours truly right now. So you have options if uh, if 9 to noon, for whatever the reason, is not resonating. Uh, KFAN plus is making moves on a daily basis. What's going on? So stop doubting the plus and give it, give it a chance, okay? That's fine. And by the way, way to doubt Eric Stahl yesterday and basically make him sound like Rip Van Winkle. All he does is score a goal last night, yep. getting himself and the team off the schneid, and they beat a very gut, a quat, a medium. Well, they beat a bad Arizona team, but uh, hey, taking two and giving zero, that ain't all bad. Uh, the Plus is your home for auxiliary sporting events of the high school nature, uh, the Thursday and or Sunday or Monday night football games, back-to-back against the Wild game. Don't doubt the Plus. Uh, the Plus kicks ass. And so I, I apologize for doubting the plus. Uh, good win for the Wild last night, PA, and I love it. And you get half off large and extra large pizzas today. Go to PapaJohns.com and feast half off large and extra large pizzas with the code WILDWIN. Uh, but it's still kind of the sleepy undertones of kind of just finding their way. Just limping into the season. Let's see what's going on. Are we into style points or taking two and giving zero? Ultimately, winning is uh, is the only thing that matters. For I those. don't think they played poorly against Nashville. Do you? 
No, I just, but it's, but it's periodic lulls. I mean, that's the thing. It's not awful games. Uh, the problem that I see that far this season is that your best players is, I mean, it's your goaltenders. I mean, what, what Dubnik is doing right now, and, you know, you heard it post game with Boudreaux and company last night, their best player on the team right now is Devin Dubnik. So let me get it straight. In a game where stopping the puck is the objective. Well, the objective is to score goals. To have your best player on your team be your goalie. Boy, it sounds like a really bad thing to me. No, they, when they when you're when the objective yeah, Mark Andre Fleury sure just okay. fell into a cup victory last yeah. year, didn't he? Sure did, sure did. Uh, he didn't win the cup, as a matter of fact. The uh, oh, Washington me. Capitals. Braden Holtby uh, yeah. sure just fell into a cup. Oh, that's right. Ovechkin was the one that stole the show. Fair oh, point. weird. Yeah, in a game where scoring more goals than the other team mm-hmm. is the ultimate objective. Okay. Devin Dubnik go has go and kept, predict the team doesn't make the playoffs. Has kept the Wild in the mix at all times. No, I'm not going to predict because we see these types of slow starts. We see these lulls yeah. every single season, whether it was Boudreaux, back to Mike Yo, Great. and Mr. Torchetti. Every time, every, the, the consistency is this roster and this group of guys right. and the lulls. So the go cool ahead and go, is, go Carly Zucker on it, okay? Oh. <laughs> go ahead and say, get to the second round of the playoffs and I'll pay attention to you. No, that's not the thing. I'm watching every game. I'm glad it, these games feel like they're more difficult than they have to be. That's the only thing I'm getting at. Penalty kill okay. is looking pretty good right now. I love that aspect of it. Uh, goal scoring needs to improve. It's good when Eric Stahl scores goals because that's what he's really good at, and that is the objective of the game. Yeah. And they did it last night, and they beat the uh, the Coyotes, who were supposed to be, you know, of all the teams looking at 2018 and 2019, look at Clayton Keller, look at this young roster, look at how much better this team's getting. Meanwhile, a flub by Darcy Kemper is what gets us over the hump yeah. last night. Uh, nice to see him back at the X, by the way. And uh, and you get out with two points, so it's cool. They get a couple of days off, and then they got to go down to Dallas. Uh, the, uh, the Arizona Coy- Coyotes are one of these new school bits where they're president of hockey operations slash GM slash Fenton slash Fletcher, 29 years of age. Woo. That's great. I mean, God, God, God bless the individual. Obviously very smart, very learned, very opportunistic, and very deserving of his job. But when I heard on NBC Sports Network last night that, you know, the this individual, and I can't remember his name, is big into the analytics of hockey. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I mean, that's, and, and I'm not old guy that shuns at analytics. Yeah. I believe in baseball. They're absolutely 1,000 times is room for that. And probably the majority of sports. When it comes to metrics and analytics in the National Football League and the National Hockey League, that, that's cool, man. And, and, okay. and, and if that's what you're into and if you think it works, cool. But do know, the NFL and the NHL are the two most team-friendly games of all the pro sports. And if you don't get A to get to B to get to C to get to D in the National Football League or the NHL, you can have uh, Bobip, Vorp, War, OPS+. Plus. You can have all of that. It ain't going to work if they are not functioning as a unified unit. Uh, we've seen the Browns fail miserably at trying their own uh, money ball esque analytics driven uh, procedures and decisions over the course of time. Now, new management seems like the team's getting better. But you know, 
I mean, young, game-changing elements in the front office have worked for teams before. Theo Epstein. Now, I know it's baseball. You say it's completely different. But Theo Epstein going to Boston, yeah. changing that entire franchise oh, around. Yeah. They win two World Series. He goes to the Cubs, change that negativity oh, yeah. around, wins another World Series. No, metrics are fat in baseball. But in some cases, young blood. Yeah. And not only you know getting out old cliches and old paths, whether yeah. it's analytically based or otherwise, yeah. you go ahead and doubt the 29-year-old okay, Arizona. Yeah, well, guess what? If hockey metrics lead to 25 five shots a game, like a half goal a game, and the fact that you can't score from anywhere on the ice, God bless metrics in the NHL. All right? I mean, they they know more about it than us, so uh, this is with all due respect. Uh, The Timberwolves debut this evening. Uh, It begins the 2018-2019 season. San Antonio. 45 minutes from now, uh, we will put uh, maybe a half to full segment focus on thoughts on that game. But just uh, quick cursory thoughts. Uh, Jimmy the Bulldog is back with the team. He's playing this evening with Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, uh, Jeff Teague. And... um, what, because I will watch the game tonight. Yes, me it, too. It's sports snobbery. We need to. Well, and it's hate watching given the melodrama. But yes, <laughs> and we have uh, Johnny Athletic on tomorrow at ten thirty-five. So, uh, biggest thing I'm looking for uh, were is how they how they look off the putrid preseason performances. Sam's their best player now that their best player is back, knowing they are. They are executing their toil with somebody who does not want to be with them. <laughs> I, I just, I want to see, I mean, just listen to the way, and that's true the way I put it, but just listen to the way you lay out a Timberwolves preview. <laughs> because I looked at the narrow casting leader, and some rube hit me, basically like, you know, because I put the set list uh, on my Twitter feed into yeah. each show. Uh, paraphrasing, greatly disappointed in this set list. It's Timberwolves season opener night. So I write back, and I'm like, 10.35, 11.35, we chat Wolves, Spurs, and Johnny Athletic joins tomorrow at 10.35. But really, when you when you analyze this game and you analyze this situation, it is absolutely fair for the first thing to be said is – the best player on the team does not want to play for the team, does not want to play for the players with whom he's playing, yep. and that all unfurls this evening. I can't wait. And almost nobody from the court to the stands enjoys the mannerisms and the general just who yeah. the head coach is. Yeah. Uh, You've you got, got plenty of time on air, online, on demand, on fire, on Twitter, or with other shows to hear snarky negative breakdowns Correct. then just pound it into the ground. Who's going to get booed Friday night? Who yeah. gets booed more and why? Tibbs, Kevin Love, or uh, Jimmy Butler? This sucks, that sucks, everything sucks. Nine to Noon wants to find the cheery nature into things. Yeah. but and, and, and there are things that we will bring up 45 minutes from now that potentially could excite you for a Timberwolves season opener. But in fairness, the A topic is your best player it does not want to be on the team does not want to play with the current group of players he has no choice so therefore he is playing and that all is unveiled this evening from san antonio davy it's super weird and with the opener tonight you try to find cheery elements of it and we will and we'll figure that out but you even look like last night double opener uh, double header season opener and you have kg on tnt saying the owner doesn't know yeah. bleep about basketball right wearing his bitterness on his sleeve. Yeah, it's all bitter. I mean, it's just... The whole thing's bitter. It's awful. Yeah, it's bitter. Uh, Butler's bitter. He's Jimmy Bitter. 
J- Jimmy's bitter. <laughs> Everybody's bitter. The whole thing sucks right now. I hope they win tonight. Uh, the Dodgers put a spine-tingling L on the Brewers. That series is tied to two. Dozier two-out uh, single in an RBI last night. Dallas Eichel, by far the most hittable and beatable member of the uh, Houston Astros starters. Um, and they got to him last night. There was a grand slam late in the game. Both Sox win a two. Morton versus Porcello today. Peason is releasing Astros to its subscribers. Morton um, always has done well against the Red Sox. Porcello has been okay against the the Astros, and Porcello's really good. However, there's one thing Peason does not like about this Porcello bit, is between starts he pitched out of the bullpen. Peason is not, is not a fan of that. Peason is not a fan of taking these players off their routine. When we return, it's the Burke bit, 9 to noon. Don't leave. Broadcasting from the Minnesota Vikings TCO Performance Center, this is the voice of the Vikings, Paul Allen on the fan. Head out to the Friday football feast with PA and Charch in Elk River from 9 to noon. Be there for the boom, take home some feast swag, and get the complete broadcast schedule at KFAN.com. Thanks to Coors Light. See you at Buffalo Wild Wings in Elk River on Friday. TCO Studios, ladies and gentlemen, it is now post time for the Burke bit. It is Matt Burke, Super Bowl winning center, uh, joining nine to noon each and every Wednesday. Well, most Wednesdays. Most Wednesdays. Couldn't make it last week. And then I go to Twitter, and there are you and uh, twelve thousand of your favorite Catholic friends. What what was happening last Wednesday? We were down at U.S. Bank Stadium for Mass of the Holy Spirit. We had uh, the 79 Catholic grade schools in the Archdiocese represented, 12,000 students, and the Archbishop celebrated a Mass. And uh, you, So, so I, I got to kind of do the, the welcome wow. a little bit, a little yep. warm up the crowd. Yep, I'm sure you charged and, them four grand. Uh, no, that was a freebie. Okay. Uh, it was uh, time off purgatory. And uh, I, uh, so, 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 you know, I, I, I talked, hey, we're at the, we're, we're at the premier the premier sporting venue in the world. You know, yeah. this is this this place yeah. hosted the Super Bowl. And, oh yeah, and 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 last year, we thought we saw a miracle when the Vikings played the Saints. Oh my God! Huh? Are <laughs> you kidding me <laughs> with that? Now that's. That's, that's spectacular. That's, that's that's the difference between an amateur that's and a professional. That's why there's no tithing for the Burke family this year. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it. Um, you know, and, and knowing how theologically sound you are, I mean, I you know about that. Well, you. I mean, you put me on something that I've gravy trained for 15 years. For instance, when somebody sneezes, like like I follow up the way I heard you do it once. Somebody sneezes, what's the general response? Gesundheit? No. Oh, I'm German. Uh, bless you. God and also bless you. bless you. We lift up our hearts. We lift them up to Dean P's defense with 11 <laughs> sacks in the last game. Oh, my God. Your Ravens, 11 sacks shutting somebody out. I'll tell you what. 11 sacks shut them out. You know what's the most impressive stat I saw on them? Hmm. They have not given up a second-half touchdown. Your Ravens? Year. Wow. Yeah. doesn't matter. It's not Dean Pizzo. It's Wink Martindale. Uh, d- it, it, uh, that's right. It doesn't matter. They doesn't. lost to the Browns. 
You yeah, see, and you we can, said that was the lead pipe lock right. of the week. Yeah, they see, were given three at Cleveland. Yeah, uh, no, Peason, the Paul Allen Stats and Information <laughs> Network, did not see it that way, but you can go with it. Now, hold on. <clears throat> Funny how you conveniently take a Wednesday away from the football-loving covenant. A Wednesday after your Super Bowl-winning super special team loses to the Cleveland Browns. Who loses to the Cleveland Browns? Well, them and the Jets so far. Yeah, yeah that was that was a bad that was a bad L all the way. Around. That was a bad. That was a kind of an ugly game to watch. Right. I mean, just a twelve a twelve nine in overtime in Cleveland. Yeah, I've never seen. You know what? I've been to Cleveland a bunch. I've seen games on TV. I've never seen the sun out in Cleveland. I'm serious. <laughs> right. And then LeBron leaves. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, I, know, I, it think, sucks. I don't know if they. And then they feel good about the Buckeyes. A, they almost lose to the Gophers. And then B, Nick Bosa's like, hey, I'm done with college because I got to get myself physically ready for the draft. So, like, all of Ohio, it should be called uh, Lohio because all it does is take fat L's. People from Ohio can tend to be, I think, annoying on the spectrum. You know, like they're kind of one that's like it's a little bit too. You're you're a little too proud of where you're from, and we're really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're from the greatest place in the world, that's great. Like if you're from San Diego, oh yeah, great, we're happy for it. Yeah, but like if you're, they're all proud to be from Ohio. It's oh, like, yeah. what, what's in Ohio? Well, it's you the can't... heart of the Rust Belt. Oh, they're hard working. Oh, age. You guys, are, you oh, guys yeah. are you guys are frauds. Okay, both of you are Minnesotans, and you're both frauds. I'm not annoying like that. Like oh. I was in the airport this no, morning, not. and all the people wearing like the the MN hats and this. It's like okay, you're getting on a plane, you're going somewhere. We get it. You want it. You want when you land wherever you land. You want people. Know yeah. you're from Minnesota. We get it. You know, yeah. it's like who cares? Well, well, that's what I'm saying though, is that where you're both being frauds is I mean, I've lived all over the place and I've never come across a state that is more prideful of, of its origin, where it's from, sweating out the winters together, the four seasons and everything. It's the it's the cliched, we like it here. So I mean it's very difficult to cast stones at other states. When you were born and raised in a state that is haughty and prideful in in its origin. Listen, you've lived in California, the land of fruits and nuts, and then you lived in in D.C., where like nobody's from D.C. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know how you. <laughs> That's good point. You know. Yeah. Let's back that train up a little well, bit. Well, in California, the haughty nature in California is it legitimately goes down with the big cities. Like, San Francisco looks down on Los Angeles. You're too big, too spread out, not as eclectic or or not as eclectic or learned or smart as we are. Los Angeles looks down on San Diego, thinking, San Diego, you may have that nice weather and not as much smog, but you want to be us. And by the way, you're a stone's throw from Tijuana. So <laughs> good luck with that property value. So they kind of they kind of always look down on each other that way. It's a lot of infighting, huh? Yeah, but California, the uh, the weather is so nice, and it's so consistently nice that, you know, because I have family members and I know people who, who adhere to this, where... They may be at a at a point in their lives in their forties, fifties, or sixties where they're like, you know what? I've topped out in my industry at my job, and I'm going to make X amount of dollars a year, which may not be, you know, what the national average is or or what the national household average is for normal households. Not yours with thirteen, but like with a husband, wife, and two kids, and they're like. I'm just going to live in the smaller house in this secondary-type neighborhood because the weather is so unbelievable and the opportunity is so vast for things to do. Yeah. I don't want to live. I love paying 60% income tax and earthquakes every month. It's <laughs> come awesome. On, come uh, on, man. Uh, it's, it's great. Yeah, That's well, why we're yeah. haughty. 
We don't have earthquakes. Yeah. We don't have massive... I mean, think about from a natural disaster perspective. We get 13 inches of snow in April sometimes. Yeah, and then it goes away. Yeah. And then it's 50 degrees the next day. But the I mean, snow lasts one day. The earthquake lasts seven seconds. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's scary, though. Mm-hmm. The ground's moving. It's yeah. funny. The ground's pe- shaking. It's funny how people think, like, where they're from, somehow that reflects on their character. You yeah. know, like, I, I'm, you know, I'll, oh, no I'll, I'll fight you if you yeah. say a bad thing about California right. near Minnesota. It's like, yeah, we're, we I mean, got to be, from, us, be from somewhere. We're very so protective it's of It's good our... to have, I mean, it's healthy to have local pride. It's it's good. Like, you, no you want to make your community better. This, but, my, this is the favorite place I've ever lived in my life. Not, well, me too. I've and, lived all over, too. It's, right. And, and it's more so than just great place to raise kids, great school. Schools, uh, just great insulated environment where everybody's super, super prideful in their state and where they live. It's just, it's the you know, and I've lived in places as have you with uh, when when you lived in Maryland. I mean, with four seasons, and granted, the winters aren't as harsh there as they are here. But in D.C. and or Maryland, man, those summers they get hot and it's they real. get sticky. The humidity is nasty. Then the hay fever pops up and everybody's eyes are like shut because they can't get them open because of the hay fever. So every every place has its nuance. But this is for for my money. This is the best place I've yeah, ever. Just lived. real quick on that hay fever. I remember in the spring, the first spring, we we're in Maryland. And one day I come out to get my truck, and on my truck, I mean, there is a visible <laughs> film of yellow oh, yeah. stuff. Oh yeah. Right, like yeah, I took my finger and you know dragged it across the hood. It's and it ridiculous. Was, it was all the pollen. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. Oh, I'd die out there in the spring. <laughs> I think I, um, I think I have identified one of the real underrated, underreported, and or talked about facets of the NFL. And in a season where we came into it and we do the Burke bit every week and, and we go deep diving on the NFL, hey, Berkey, the helmet situation through two and, a half, uh, two, two and a half weeks or whatever was embarrassing. How come they pulled back at your league? Then we got the roughing the passer bit, Clay Matthews, that whole thing. That's come back a little bit. The, the in-game management by head coaches at times, it's it's – not only is it so poor at times all over the NFL, it's the it gets to a point, and I'm referencing really Kyle Shanahan, and I saved this for you today from Monday night, where and 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 in the Vikings Packers game it happened too. I mean Green Bay after Laquan Treadwell takes the L picked off by Ha Ha Clinton Dix, Packers had a chance to dagger a division rival and win the game. So then Juicy A-Rodge is inside the 20. Instead of milking the clock, he goes to throwing. Like three times or two of three times or whatever. Vikings get a chance to come back, and, and they force overtime. In that Monday night football game, man, I mean, when you're when you're a nine-point dog with something called C.J. Beathard and you're at Lambeau Field <laughs> and you have an opportunity to run the ball against a toothless defense that has let you run for nearly seven yards a carry and, and you're going to throw the ball late trying to get a first down, it's ridiculous. So then I think of like, yeah, I mean, it's the the moments are heated, you know. So therefore, it's very a very heated moment. You got to be calculated. You got to be poised. But sometimes, offensively and defensively, these guys are so far into their call sheets with what they want to do next. I'm thinking three downs ahead that they they don't see the forest for the trees with with the clock and the situation and everything you know so yeah, a couple of things one yeah maybe uh i mean the side of the argument that you're on you would say maybe Shanahan learned his uh, lesson in the Super Bowl against the Patriots when he should have <laughs> run it and there he you threw go. it on third down right um 
I, you know, I, brilliant. I think that I think that like we all just sort of naturally skew towards whether we're watching a game, we think what a team should do is towards being is is towards being really conservative, right? Yeah. And uh, not last week, the week before, um, Seahawks Rams fourth and one ended. You know, two minutes left in the game, Rams were up three midfield. They went for it. Yeah. You know, now now everything says punt it. Right. I think a lot of times just our mindset is play not to lose, play not to lose, play not to lose. McVeigh was like, no, we're going for it. They run first down, game's over. Well, okay. in that game, too, they were going to punt. Carroll calls a timeout for yeah. the Seahawks, and McVeigh's like, oh, okay. Then they went <laughs> they, for it and right. daggered him. Later on that night, Houston's playing Dallas, overtime. Dallas has fourth down at midfield in overtime, fourth and one. Jason Garrett decides to punt, and Houston goes down the field, kicks the game, winning field goal. I mean, you know, because I, I I think part of it is coaches don't want to don't want to be they say oh you you know you should have you should have played it conservatively you should have done what everybody else does you should have punted it or uh, you know whatever I would say I kind of like being a little bit more unorthodox now hey I mean it's a risk right I mean I mean if 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 if, if you want to quote take a chance yeah and it doesn't work out then 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 you need you need to take the blame I mean. Hindsight's always 50-50. I totally get what you're saying. I guess for me, I'm a nine-point dog on the road. I'm tied. They got but that's Eric. all I, done. I, I, but see, that's all done because, I mean, the nine-point dog on the just like Joe Maurer's contract. You know, Joe had that unbelievable season. He gets that big, fat contract, no longer hits home runs. So people are like three, four years down the road going, boy, are we getting ripped off in this deal. That money was spent. You know, you the the money no longer matters with Joe. Let's just try to refine it. I mean, he's he's high end player. Let's appreciate what he does. The nine point dog equity at that stage of the game that was dead. This is a dog fight, right? So I the way I think about it and look at it is what's the best thing to do? Where if you're questioned by the GM or the owner after the game, you don't look stupid. Here's, so here's the thing. So if the GM or the owner is like. Why did you run in that situation and it didn't work? Your response can be, A, I wanted to keep A-Rod out of the game. B, we had run for a buck sixty, buck seventy, and nearly seven yards per carry, and it didn't work. So it didn't work. So I'm out of the box. You're in Lambeau Field. It's Monday night. You got this thing called C.J. Beathard, and it's towards the end of the game, and you're tired. You're playing with house money, you know, like kind of like who cares? This year, once Garoppolo went down, yeah, it's kind of you know, one likes to talk about it. it's a throwaway year for the 49ers. You know, it doesn't matter if they go. What are they going to finish? It doesn't matter if they go six and ten or seven and nine or yeah. eight and eight or five. It doesn't matter. So yeah. you know what? The, the the flip side of that argument is you'd think because San Fran rushed for so many yards, that mm-hmm. Green Bay might have made it, tried to make an adjustment, drop a safety down in the box, and it wasn't like I mean there were times where. That passing game. I mean, our guy, uh, our guy, Marquis Goodwin. Yeah, I mean, was, was killing people. He was out unstoppable. There. So C.J. Beathard was probably probably as hot as he'd ever been, and said, "What the heck? Let's roll the dice." And then we remembered that he was C.J. Beathard. Some Vikings conversation with Super Bowl winning center Matt Burke when nine to noon continues from TCO Studios. You're listening to the Fan Program and the Fan Today brought to you in part by Quick Trip. Planning to head out to the Friday football feast in Elk River. The fan and Coors Light want to give you a shot to win the best seats in the house. Just tweet at KFAN1003 using hashtag MVP table for your shot to, at front row seats to this week's feast with PA and Charge.
eleven twenty-two, nine to noon. Uh, Mike Zimmer, X's and O's from uh, TCO Performance Center this evening. Uh, that starts at uh, six thirty. Mike chats about a lot, including uh, the defense. Where you know it's probably the last time this season I'll bring it up to Mike uh, because after the Rams game. There was a um, there was a Friday conference call that he did where normally he does his Monday press conference at 2 p.m. during the program. Uh, but, you know, team, we gets back at 430 and whatever, and they're there to short sleep, whole thing. And they lose 38-31. And the defense, you know, it was another game like Niners with uh, your guy Kittle and Bits. Then in the um, in the Bills game, something called Kroom running wide open for it. There were just uncovered guys every single game. And now you got Barr on Cup and Woods in that game, and it just was antithetical to what people expect from a from a Mike Zimmer defense. So during the end of his conference call deal with the media, he mentioned, you know, problems A, B, and C with defense, and there may be some of our coaching. So then we go into the weekend and I tape an interview with him next Tuesday and I brought it up. You know, you mentioned this over coaching bit on Friday. What did you mean? And 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 he and he kind of skirted around it a little bit. Was talking about too many disguises and stuff like that. Well, now the defense has played really well the last two games for the most part. Over the last three games, your Vikings defense is giving up first downs on third down twelve percent of the time. Over over the course of the season, it's twenty five percent, which is the best in the history of the NFL. So some things are on hit legit right now again for Zimmer's defense. So yesterday when I taped the bit for tonight at six thirty, I brought it up again. You know, you you mentioned over coaching after that Rams game, and now we've watched the last two, and clearly things are better. And he gave a really really interesting answer about being a coach and losing, having the season end the way you did with that blowout at Philly and that second half against Breeze. And then you got the entire offseason to mix your potions, re-look at things, and be like, I've done it this way for two decades or whatever and change. And it always works, but maybe change is needed. So reading between the lines, I think they overchanged on a lot of things. I think it was confusing to even guys who have been here four and five years. And then I think he eliminated a lot of that, got a little more conservative in some situations, and just basically took the took the mantra of, I think my guys are better than yours, and we're going to line up and we're going to do this thing and see where we stand. And um, and people can hear his response tonight at six thirty. But do you see it that way too, with the way the defense is starting to play? Yeah. I mean, well, for I mean, I think the last two games, I mean, Philly and and certainly Arizona. Yeah, Minnesota's defense is just better than that offense. I mean, you don't have to have your whole bag of tricks. Just right. just let your guys play. Play your base stuff. Let them play fast. Yep. I think it's natural. I mean, right? You're always trying to stay one step ahead of the competition, and and so and, and you talk about the last six quarters of last year were rough for the defense. So. All offseason, you're sitting on that, and obviously Mike Zimmer has a lot of pride in his defense, so he might have overthought it a little bit. I don't say that's the case. I mean, maybe using his his words, but you know, as as a player individually, like you know, if you're an offensive lineman, you get beat or you have a rough series, or if you're a team and you, and you have a rough a rough game, rough. You always talk about let's just go back to the fundamentals, right? Because at the end of the day, I mean, disguises are good and schemes are good if they give you an advantage. But if it's making you think too much, if it's making you a step slow, yeah. then it's not good. You know, let's just line up and, and make sure we're coming off the ball hard, coming off the ball fast. And that's what was happening. And 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 I, and I think you know, for the most part, I mean, probably probably a half to two thirds of the offenses that that the Vikings play, they're de- they're just better than them, right? I mean, you've got you've got great players. I mean, we've got. 
still have have a great pass rush. You know, linebackers that can they can blitz, they can cover. Great back end. So it's not like you don't have to get too fancy. But I think a coach's um, it's a double edged sword. You want to have enough in there because you never want to look at the film and say, oh. We didn't have enough defense in for these guys, right? Yeah. Like, like we didn't have like an offense. Well, we you don't want to run out of offense during a game, which could never happen because you have seven million plays in. Right. Um, but, but, but you also don't want to be on the flip side to say where oh we had too much. So I think sometimes you probably are on the side of having a little bit too much, trying to put as much as you can on the players because you can always just say, hey, we're just going to throw that out. Don't worry about that. Instead of adding more as the game goes on. I think Zimmer pines for an opportunity to get back at the Rams, no matter yeah. no matter if it's Coliseum, here, wherever, simply because there were things that transpired in that game where it looked like, and, and this is going to get back to McVay and what I feel about him after the Vikings beat them last year. But, you know, it looks from afar, and it probably schematically is the answer, McVay schemed his defense to get Robert Woods and Cooper Cup on Anthony Barr. We say it all the time. It's not about schemes. It's about matchups. Right. right. In the NFL, the NFL is about matchups. Right. Conversely, Zimmer's on the wrong side of that. Ah, I had a linebacker covering these guys down the field. You know, that's for, for prideful individuals like these guys, especially Zimmer, you know, has been around 30-some-odd years. That's going to bug them, and that's going to eat at them. And they may not they they may not make it, certainly won't make it public, or they may not talk a lot about it around here, but to a man, sure. it bugs prideful individuals. Sure. And now there, there's somebody I know who worked with the Rams. And, you know, when we were back in Los Angeles, it was shared with me that, and, you know, McVeigh, I'm not going to call McVeigh arrogant, cocky, or whatever. He's just, he's very competitively arrogant. He's just very, he knows he's good at what he does. Got some Pete Carroll in him, kind of like a little just, Pete, yeah. with the way he runs the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. And and his stuff, his stuff is innovative. It's good. Yeah. Good and, he, and he has Woods and Cook, uh, Brandon Cooks and Cup, and Goff's good, and Gurley's good, and Whitworth's good. So he has the complementary pieces with the beautiful mind. But... When the Vikings beat them last year, they went down the field like seven, nine plays or whatever. Gurley got a touchdown. They didn't score for the final 55 minutes of the game. And from what I understand, that, that as much as losing in the playoffs at home to Atlanta, that ate at McVay for like a year. That he was that he could not get around this defense for 55 minutes of a game. Mm-hmm. And it ate at him. And so I think, you know, I think when the Vikings came to the Coliseum, you know, you have um, you you have rump roast, you have this type of steak, and then you have fillet. They the Vikings got the fillet, and and he'd been sitting on that for a while. Conversely, I bet you Zimmer's probably looking at that thirty eight thirty one, going, I'd sure like to crack at that again, just uh, to see to see how things shake out. Do you remember last year at the end of the year, the seatings were not set, and McVay rested his guys the last week. Yeah. Because he wanted the Falcons, trying to orchestrate wanted the Falcons, yep. which didn't turn out so good for him. Which is, right. you know, I mean, you can't tell he's 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 cocksure, like he's pretty cocksure himself. Which if yep. he's my coach, if it's my team, I kind of like that. Um, the thing about you know going back to that Rams Vikings game, mm-hmm. um, okay, I mean Vikings offense scored thirty one against this Rams defense that's got all these high paid free agents, right? Yeah. Um, I look at that game. Jared Goff was lights out. Kirk Cousins was lights out. I mean, both of them. Some yeah. of those throws that those guys made were so. You say, like, can, could Jared Goff play any better? Like, if the Vikings and Rams played again and everything else was equal, equal, a couple of those balls were absolutely perfect. Yeah, right. And I'm thinking, 
I don't. Uh, Jared Goff doesn't have the body work to make me say, oh, I think if he played again, he would be that good. Mm-hmm. Now, could Kirk Cousins play that well again against the Rams? I think absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, he has. Because he has. He's a veteran. But Kirk Cousins has been, I think, uh, you agree or disagree, I think he's almost better than what we could have hoped for. Coming into a new team, new system, all this, the pressure, new contract. I mean, I really can't find much, much to complain about when you talk about Here's a guy. We're giving him the money. All the pressure's on him. I think he's he's delivered not just numbers, yeah. but I mean, I mean, some of the some of the balls he's thrown are just it it, it kind of leaves you. You kind of look around and say, how the heck did he? I mean, how the heck did he complete that? Throws guys open better than than I knew he did. Yeah. And, and I'm sure. I mean, you go you go three consecutive seasons at four thousand plus yards with four rushing touchdowns at least each season. He's the only quarterback in the history of the NFL to do that. But when you're on a bad team, and right. you know, they're not real good. Like you get a lot saying. of garbage yardage. Yep. You kind of think, is he real? Is he the real deal? Is he right. a you know quote elite or franchise quarterback, whatever mm-hmm. term? I mean, I think absolutely. See, but one of the one of the real things that impresses me with Kirk, uh, Kirk is that is that he's not hard headed. So Patrick Peterson came into this Arizona game. Patrick is high end. He's obviously elite. Eighth year from LSU. I've heard about Stephon Diggs. I've heard about Adam Thielen. Well, I'm going to have 14, and he's not going to change the game. Okay, so Diggs may have gotten open a few times, and Cousins went a different direction, but Peterson basically eliminated number 14 from the game. So instead of being cocksure or arrogant and trying to prove, nah, my my stuff's better than yours, I'm going to get it anyway, now he put Thielen on another historical game. You know, he's finding Treadwell X amount of times. He starts the Eagles game by hitting David Morgan. So you're Nigel Bradham, uh, you're Fletcher Cox, you're Jalen Mills, you're Malcolm Jenkins, and you're all ready for everything, and there's a David Morgan eight-yard game to, be, to begin things, you know? Kirk's very good at, at, going, at having it go where it's supposed to go, which is best for the team, and I like that a lot about him. You, uh, here's, here's a question you can add, Paul Allen, with your, with your response. You take a, the quarterback, the running back, which, I mean, let's, let's say Latavius and a healthy Dalvin Cook, which we haven't really seen yet this year. Mm-hmm. You take the receivers and you take the tight end of, of, those, of that set of skill, of your offensive skill players. What team in the NFL has a better overall cumulative set right. of guys than the Vikings? When Le'Veon Bell returns for Pittsburgh, and now you got Bell Connor with Brown Smith Schuster, that's there. Um, Vance McDonald, your guy stiff arming Chris Conti, pretty good, good, good yards after catch. I think Pittsburgh would be in that conversation. In the conversation, New England with the quarterback and Sony Michelle James White is all about big time guy. James White is he's a, amazing. He's a, it's, but it's amazing how they use him, right? It's I mean, a, well, he's a big time player. I mean, he's a wide receiver that lines up in the backfield, right? And and he he handles the big spot mm-hmm. as well as anybody in the history of the NFL. So then, what do we have? We have Edelman. Yeah, Philip Dorsett, Chris Hogan, Gronk. yeah, you got Gronkowski. Yeah. So yeah, it is in New Orleans. It it New Orleans is a good. I'm saying, I mean, you it's Vikings in the top are in the five. top five. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah which, for which, sure. which is which is you well, take that and then you take this defense, right. which I we, I believe we still haven't seen their best. You know, or this the 2018 version of this defense of what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. You gotta like that. 
it's a good it's a good place to be. Well, with the quarterback, he fumbled 12 times last year. Six fumbles this year, five lost. Mm-hmm. I'm not mad at him for one of the losses. It was the uh, behind-the-line-of-scrimmage swing bit to Rock Thomas. Uh, so, so really, it's five, but technically it's four. But he had 12 last year. And, and you know, again, we, we bring this up on X's and O's this evening at 6.30. Is this forever a problem with Kirk, or is it correctable? I'm, I'm not sure it is. I think the, the, the way he holds it, the way he moves in the pocket, eyes are always down the field, eyes are field looking yeah. to make a big play all the time. I, I don't know if it's correctable. Maybe it is, maybe it is, and, and maybe you don't want to. I mean, if he's, you know, once in a while it's going to bite you. Maybe you say, hey, sometimes you got to, you know, you got to tuck it away and you got to cut bait and just try to try to get back to the line of scrimmage. But shoot, so often he's under duress. There's guys in his lap and he's, and he's, and he's making the throws and guys are, guys are, guys are catching it. So, I don't know. I don't know how much you want to correct. I mean, that does happen to all the court. It happened to Tom Brady on yeah. on Sunday night. You know, he got he got sacked, held onto it too long. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, I guess you, you'd love perfection, um, but you know, at the end of the day, I think uh, the very few warts that that I've seen so far, just yeah. as a as a Vikings fan, I'll I'll, I'll take them because there's a lot of good stuff. Before you leave, down memory lane we go, uh, which I like to do weekly with Matt Burke, uh, Vikings and Ravens football immortality. Adrian Peterson's 2007 preseason game at the Jets. We got oh, the Jets yeah, this yeah, weekend. The spin move, yeah. Uh-huh. And then by the sidelines, yeah. trucking David Barrett, yeah. the corner David Barrett. Yep. That was like, you know, that was like the first eye-opening moment with that guy. That holy cow, he delivers the blow instead of taking it. That was a preseason game. Colin Leffler's your long snapper. Very young in his career. So we're out by the buses. It's like the second preseason game or whatever. You guys lost. And he comes from a Longhorns program where they never lost. And I'm like, main man, why are you so down? He goes, because we lost. I'm like, it's a preseason game. So And you're the long snapper. <laughs> so, I mean, let's, let's uh, what, get this out of the system. He's like, at Texas, we never lost. Okay, I don't have the mindset that losing is acceptable preseason regular poster i'm like whoa this is super competitive which is really cool um down memory lane we go any ravens jets games you remember top oh, yeah. of the head yeah so like the what first like mark gastineau no it wasn't gastineau it was joe klecko um <laughs> so Marty lions though it wasn't no it was my so it was my second year in baltimore yeah we opened up medlife medlife stadium with the jets on a, it was a monday night so it was was it yeah it was so we we go out big game jets jets were good bart scott was now playing for the jets you know he was he was a huge baltimore ravens bart loves to talk loves yeah. to talk smack so we're warming up and this is the marks and this is mark sanchez you know and the jets were like legitimate uh we're, we're warming up and um bart's yakking and some other guy and ray rice is yakking at him and bart is standing at the 50 yard line and ray rice says something starts jogging back towards our goal line you know and Bart throws a football at him. And I mean it is a rocket. And like if it would have I mean if it, it would have hit somebody who wasn't in pads, it'd have probably killed him. Ah. Misses him by like that much. Wow. I was like, you can't throw a football. <laughs> so then it, it it pours rain. We're in the locker room, it's pour all oh, games delayed a half hour, one of yeah. these deals. Monday. We won um ten to nine. You know, this was Rex Ryan and the the vaunted defense, Chris Jenkins in the middle, your yeah. guy from University of Maryland. And yeah. I mean, just one of those defenses that was just legit and just an absolute fight, and we won. We won ten wow. nine, and I remember getting on the bus. I was just singing, 
it was. I mean, we won. It was ten nine. It was like mm. that, that. That that game hurt a little bit. Mm. You know, it hurt. Great it memory. Fun. See you next week. All right. Okay. Matt Burke at Burke Matt via Twitter. If you would like to add him, uh, Wolves at San Antonio starting their season uh, t- uh, this evening. Uh, we'll chat about that and more when we return. It's nine to noon. It's the Gopher Report on the Fan, brought to you by Carboni's Pizzeria. Now with head coach P.J. Fleck, here's Paul Allen. You know, what an excellent experience for Zach Anikstad. I mean, ma- made some good throws in a big-time situation. Well, the one thing, you know, you always worry about with young players, especially if you're the quarterback, is how well they play in big situations or is the situation going to be too big for them. And Zach Anikstad, no situation's ever too big for him. And, um, look, that's his, that's his sixth game ever. And he's getting better. He's taking valuable, valuable knowledge. And he's getting better every single week. That's not the same. I have a bad game or a good game or things like that. But he's getting better in every area that he wasn't the week before. And that's so great to see. You'd like to be able to have a true freshman playing with a bunch of juniors and seniors around him. And we just don't have that yet. But we're building that together. Um, but he is starting to truly understand, master, get to know, you know, what he's not good at, making huge improvements. But he's a mentally tough kid. And um, that's what you need. If you've got a tough quarterback, you can have a tough team. If you've got a mature quarterback, you can have a mature team. And um, he's developing our team every single week as he continues to play. That was the Gopher Report with P.J. Fleck, presented by Carboni's Pizzeria on the radio home of the Gophers, The Fan. I can't wait. I can't wait until tomorrow. Experience what it is like to be a Minnesota Viking as you conquer the TCL Vikings 5K. Join us Saturday, October 20th at 3 p.m. as you and your friends finish on the 50-yard line at TCO Stadium, the new home of the Vikings. Post-race, runners can enjoy a tailgate atmosphere with live music, games, and autographs from Vikings legends. More info at KFAN.com, keyword events. We could end any minute, but I pray tomorrow comes, but it could be too late. Um, go ahead. What excites you about uh, the Wolves and uh, the Spurs this evening? Seven thirty. Let's uh, let's do the nine to noon truncated Minnesota Timberwolves season preview. Uh, Johnny Athletic, John Krasinski, he is at the game this evening covering it for The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. He will join 9 to noon tomorrow at 1035 uh, to get his thoughts on the season opener. What? Uh, so what are the expectations? What are the what are the 1, 1A, 1B, and 1C topics? Uh, the very first thing that I'm excited to see is can a group of highly compensated adults who may not like each other or get together uh, or get along very well off the court, can they get along on the court? And that means Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, if Jimmy Butler is indeed on his way out of this franchise at some point. I'm cutting you off because how do we know they don't get along off the court? I mean, we, we don't. I mean, it's you're you're writing Twitter related vibes and or TMZ related stuff because Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, or Jimmy Butler, unless I've missed it, or Teague or Gibson, never have come out and said they don't like the other person. No, they they certainly never have. But it's it's not Rube and Cube offering up. I bet they hate each other. You've now seen a solid six months uh, ish of reports 
TMZ-related things, uh, rumor mill-related things by people who are paid to report on said team. And so I'm I'm riding what? I'm riding the fact that there there may be cohesion issues related to Jimmy Butler and Tibbs versus the kids, the things we've been talking about all summer and yeah, spring. Yeah, but, but there's a difference between one person looking at another group saying, you don't do it the right way, and I don't want to be here with that anymore, which, which for better or for worse, I mean, you know, you can also look at Butler and be like, okay, well, what have you done at the highest level ever in your life or your career? And the answer would be nothing. But when, I mean, there's a difference between professionally looking at somebody else saying, I don't believe you work hard enough or execute your toil at a level at which we're going to win that, that I want to win right? compared to, I don't like them or they don't like each other. Okay. Well, I guess I don't think that I'm taking a grand Canyon esque leap in assuming that if that professional part of things is true, that they're probably not getting together on the weekends. This is also a team, by the way, that through camp into preseason and all of that, have barely seen each other or all practiced together throughout the vibe as well. You remember mm-hmm. very late uh, additions or late arrivals into camp. Nobody yeah. was in town. They all came from their various destinations, yeah. got together, let's do this thing, get into it. So, on that base level... As long as Jimmy's here, he's the best player on the roster. I'm excited to see those guys working together tonight. Uh, the focus all offseason has been improving defensively. That's so stupid. And into the season. That's so dumb. Why does anybody in the NBA focus on improving defensively? I mean, you either inherently can do it defensively because it's your scheme, your level of want to, and, and your ability to do it, or you just play basketball and try to win games. Yeah, it, you know, and that that may sound trite, but I mean, it's it, it's it's more a personality characteristic right. than it is a learned skill. I mean, here's the deal. I mean, personally, for for my taste with this team, if you're in a tight game with a good team and you got 45 seconds to go, and there's a guy that needs to be stopped, and 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 I'll give my opinion first, then you give yours. Do you believe Butler has a good chance to stop that guy? Yes. Singled up. Just singled up. Okay. One-on-one, yes. Uh, what about Andrew Wiggins? Much less so than Jimmy Butler. Do you trust him or not? Because I don't. I do not trust him. Carl Anthony Towns? Zero trust. I do not trust him. Taj Gibson? Yes. I trust him. Jeff Teague? A little, nah, well, more I don't trust less, him. No, no, not trust so him. So now, see, so now we got the Bulldog when it comes to point guards, twos, or small forwards. I can probably trust him in most of those spots. But then, but now you look at four of your other key contributors, and we basically said no for three of them. Yep. Let's stop with the, we're going to improve defensively. Let, let's stop with the head coaching stuff at center court, barking out every single switch, every single back pick that potentially is going to expose somebody weak side. I mean, we, we mentioned with Burke the Zimmer reference to overcoaching. <laughs> oh, my God. Thibodeau yeah. personifies overcoaching every minute of every freaking game. The epitome of it. And that has to stop because they're not playing freely. And that plays into defensive L's. Okay, well, then, but, but then that just cancels out things to look for then. Okay, I mean, if, uh, if they say that they want to improve defense, but we know from a characteristic standpoint that the kids aren't going, are probably not trustworthy and may not do it unless suddenly they change 
just from a internal want to standpoint. If they don't change that, you know the coach is not going to stop overcoaching. Right. That's Tibbs. Yeah. That's the bit with Tibbs, and it absolutely sucks. I hate it. And it's so loud, and it's so obnoxious, and it helps nothing. And it's vulgar. It's vulgar. And, and I'm not. Yeah. And I'm the last person to to be approved. But I mean, there there there's some of it that just is unneeded. Correct. You know? Yeah. It's it's uh, it's j- he's just. From from my standpoint, I want this team to be competitive and go to the playoffs and win championships. I find Tibbs to be generally unlikable, and so but he's our guy, and so he's going to be there, and he's the human megaphone, and he's going to be blasting at high decibels from the from the baseline. We we have to accept that part of it. Uh, one other thing I'm kind of excited to look for is uh, Mr. Okogi. Yeah. You know, that that's kind of cool to see what he can do. I right. know defensively, we probably trust Okogi as a rookie more defensively right. than we do Wiggins and Towns at With this point. With you on that. And then... Uh, and I want to see Bates, is it Jop or, or Diop? I think it's Jop. I'm going with Jop. Okay. Um, I want to see Bates, Jop, change some shots in the nine yeah. minutes he's going to play. What about your guy, Lou Aldang, in the seven minutes he plays? Well, <laughs> I mean, it might be unbelievable. <laughs> Lou Aldang comes in, takes six... Six shots makes four of them, yeah. and, and there you go. Yeah, uh, but Derek Rose... Dang is going to hit a corner three yeah. tonight on his first shot. And you're going to tweet me, what do you think of Luol Deng now? Don't at me. And he'll go one of five shooting in yep. eight minutes. And, and then you'll be, I mean, let, let's just get all of the narrow casting Twitter cliches out of the way right now. Sure. You'll say, what do you think of Luol Deng now? Right. Don't at me. He's living his best life. And then I'll come back with like, Andrew Wiggins is like, hold my beer. <laughs> And then Nunnally and Tolliver yeah, back ever. in the mix. I mean, my God, 7.30 p.m. Just go win a game and yeah. let's go. Boudreaux at 9 a.m. tomorrow, plus uh, Ben Lieber in studio. Thanks to everybody here at Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center for the assistance. Nordo, the producer, Zach Halverson at the Bryan Heating and Cooling Studios. And I'm Paul Allen. That's 9 to noon at FM 100.3 The Fam. Dan Cole, the common man in the program, around the corner. Have a great day. Podcast of today's show, visit the Paul Allen channel on the